Catherine, good morning. It's Thursday, the 20th of September, is that right? I'm saying it, I don't believe it. I'm looking at the top of the Daily Mail. They would never lie about anything. Yes, it is Thursday, the 20th of September. Blimey. Uh, This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Plenty to get your mind ticking over in the next few hours, including campaigners trying to save Royston Hospital from closure are handing a petition into Downing Street today. We'll talk about that later on. A new survey shows that most drivers want to see higher fines and tougher enforcement for bad driving offences. Do you think bad drivers get off lightly? And Nick Clegg has said sorry for his pledge not to increase university tuition fees, policy he then abandoned. When was the last time you said sorry? You can text me 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, they say it's the hardest word, but the Liberal Democrats' leader, Nick Clegg, has finally said sorry for giving a general election pledge not to increase university tuition fees and then abandoning abandoning that policy when he entered uh, coalition. The change of heart comes in a party political broadcast ahead of their annual conference this weekend. There's no easy way to say this. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I am sorry. When you've made a mistake... You should apologise. But more importantly, most important of all, you've got to learn from your mistakes. And that's what we will do. I will never again make a pledge unless as a party we are absolutely clear about how we can keep it. Do you remain convinced by that? As a result of the original policy, thousands of students voted for the Lib Dems at the last election. And I know this is a long shot, but if you are one of those students that voted Lib Dem because of that policy about not increasing tuition fees. Could you get in touch, please? 08459 455 555. Because many of you have uh, found that your fees have risen threefold to a maximum of £9,000 a year. Joined now by our political correspondent, uh, Paul Scoynes. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. Paul, why has he done it, and why has he done it now, 18 months after the event? Well, it's party conference season, which is probably a pretty good reason, um, and it's midway through the coalition, so it's also probably pretty tactical to try and draw a line under it. I heard one political correspondent last night refer to it as a bit of a Blair apology, which is accept it, apologise for it, and move on. And I think, really, that's what he's trying to do. You know, the open neck shirt, the no jacket, uh, it was all very kind of humble. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how effective it'll be. I think a lot of what, what I was hearing from people last night is that they have moved on. They've moved on to other parties, and that could be a real trouble for the Lib Dems. I was speaking to a, a pretty senior local Lib Dem yesterday uh, from the Bedfordshire area, and she was saying that, you know, there is a, such a feeling of, of worry about Nick Clegg's leadership that they're even potentially considering getting a new leader and trying to see if we can if they can keep him on as as deputy uh, prime minister so keep Nick Clegg in the role but not be leader if you see what I mean what such is the feeling that he's fairly toxic so I mean you know despite Simon Hughes who's the party chairman yesterday saying that the mood has transferred or transformed around Lib Dem it's on the BBC website at the moment saying you know that Nick Clegg has transformed the mood he's made it robust you know through robust dealings with the Conservatives and 
it would be interesting to see whether or not actually that is the feeling among conference and, and whether this this speech, this this apology, as you say, the, whether that's aimed really at the Liberal Democrats rather than the, the nation as a whole. Clegg has, uh, has said that, that he made the promise without really knowing the full figures. It kind of sounds like, and I've heard it suggested, that the Lib Dems were making crazy promises they knew they could never keep because they never expected to get into power. Well, uh, you could. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I mean, also, some people have said that he's apologised for the um, pledge rather than the actual act, if you like. Mm. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that, you know, it, it's not the first uh, politician to make a, a grand gesture and then have to suddenly row back on it because uh, they've realised they can't do it anymore. Um, I mean, I think, you know, you know you're, you're right, there is an element of that. And I, I do wonder... Um, if this is symptomatic, I suppose, of, of how politicians deal now with the public. And, mm. you know, we've seen it a little bit with the coalition already. You know, you've seen uh, U-turns on a variety of different policies and they then say, oh, we've, we're listening to people. Uh, so, you, you know, it's a different way of saying the public move was so terrible we've had to row back on it. You don't get many ap- ap- apologies from politicians, do you? How rare is it? Uh, it's you get them from time to time. I mean, we've had plenty of them over sort of things like expenses and things like that. Uh, I'm just going back through some memorable ones in the last 12 months. Liam Fox apologised. He was the former defence secretary uh, for letting his friend and best man inside the inside the House of Commons and getting sort of closer access. Um, there was an interview that Kenneth Clark, who's all he was until recently, Justice Secretary uh, on Five Live, and he apologised to a, a, a rape victim for suggesting that some rapes are more serious than others. You might remember that was pretty, mm. pretty controversial. Um, Oliver Letwin, uh, the uh, Conservative uh, politician, was seen dumping some sensitive documents into park bins. Do you remember that? Oh, recently? that was fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. And he apologised for that as well. And also Vince Cable, um, you know, had to apologise after a fairly um, embarrassing uh, a moment for him where he was um, caught saying some fairly candid stuff about the coalition to uh, two people he thought were in his constituents and then ended up being Daily Telegraph reporters. Uh, so, you know, there is a... And, and Tony Blair, as I mentioned, you know, was a, a good apologiser, if you like. <laughs> he, did, he did do apologies well because uh, I think, you know, people did feel that they made it. But, you know, from Clinton apologising for having, you know, fornications to, you know, going back to the 60s, you got sort of, you know, fairly high-profile political sex scandals which have been apologised for. I mean, you know, I think it's the point where a politician realises that he can go no further and that actually the apology is pretty much the only way that he might get out of it. They're quite often an act of desperation, aren't they? Absolutely. Paul, listen, thank you very much. That's our political reporter, Paul Scoynes. What do you think? There's a couple of things uh, that this raises, isn't there? Did you vote Lib Dem because of policies such as the pledge not to increase university tuition fees? How did you feel when they went back on that? And how are you feeling this morning now you've heard the apology? 81333, start your text 3CR. I would love to speak to a student who voted Lib Dem because of the policy on uh, tuition fees. Uh, because a lot they got thousands of votes from students because of that. 81333, start your text 3CR. And it goes off on a slight tangent as well, because I want to know, when was the last time you said sorry? I used to find, I, I used to be terrible at saying sorry. Now it's just, it's, you just do it, you just kind of have to do it, don't you? You have to man up and say sorry when you've done something wrong. And I don't mind doing it at all, and it's, uh, it's quite a satisfying thing. So when was the last time you said sorry? 
You can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Or maybe you need to apologise for something on air this morning. I'll listen. I'll be kind. Come and apologise on air. There we go. What do you, What have you done in the last couple of days, the last week? Who have you upset, dear listener? There must be someone. 08459 455 555. I don't apologise very often, but I'll say sorry to all the old people that got upset when I said you shouldn't be allowed to drive the other day. There we go. I've done it. I've apologised to you. We're friends again now. Don't you feel better because I've done that? I feel better. It's a weight off my shoulders. Well, I couldn't sleep because I was worried I'd upset you so much. So, dear listener, what do you need to apologise for this morning? You can text in 81333. Start your text 3CR. It's coming up to 6.15. These are your headlines on Thursday, the 20th of September on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police have been given more time to question a suspect about the murders of two policewomen in Greater Manchester on Tuesday. Labour have accused the Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, of crying crocodile tears after he publicly apologised for breaking the Lib Dem election pledge to oppose university fee rises. In sport, England's women are through to the European Championship finals in Sweden next year after comfortably beating Croatia 3-0 in Walsall. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes. And coming up... Petrol prices have gone up by nearly five pence a litre since August. Before 6.30, we will learn about a way to drive which could save you up to 20 pence per litre on fuel. I had a go. Have a listen. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. He's a very cruel man, JVS. Donna Richie, my destiny. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 20 past six. I want you to be brave this morning, dear listener. I want you to call in and apologise for something, anything. Just have a think. I bet you've done something maybe yesterday that you went to bed going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or over the weekend, you did something that was, you know, maybe not a major thing, but was a little bit naughty. Give me a call, 08459 455 555. Follow Nick Clegg's lead. Come on the air and apologise. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. We will have a little look at uh, some of the newspapers in a bit, but, well, you'll know this if you're a driver, petrol's gone up by about five pence a litre. It's amazing watching the prices go up and up and up. It's incredible, because they went up a lot, didn't they, a few months ago. Then they came down. And it was always as exciting. It's come back down. And now it costs a fortune again. This means that filling up a tip- typical 50-litre tank will cost you £2 more than last month. as according to September's AA Fuel Price Report. What's the best way of saving petrol? Well, one way is I don't let my wife drive my car anymore. Because she drives it. She's got her own car. But sometimes, you know, the kid seat's in the back of my car, so she'll take my car, drive it around a bit, and then she won't fill it up with petrol. So I'm paying for her driving. That's no good at all, is it? Well, there are other ways of saving petrol that aren't quite so stingy to your life partner. Because uh, the Energy Saving Trust are giving smarter driving lessons in Bedfordshire, helping people save up to 20 pence a litre. I had a little session yesterday with a gentleman called John Nielsen. He's one of the smarter driving instructions. And he took me on a little drive around Luton to see how much fuel I used. So, good morning. I'm John. Morning, John. 
and welcome to Eco Driving. We're going to see if we can save you some fuel and some money this morning. How much money do you reckon you could save me? Anywhere between 5 to 25% most likely. Depends wow. how we drive. Fantastic. What sort of things are you looking out for? Well, first of all, I'm going to capture some raw data. I'm going to just let you drive the way you normally drive. Yeah. I'll then give you a demonstration drive and I'll then coach you on the third trip around the block to okay. see if we can save you some fuel at all. So we record all these figures as we go along. What CDs have you got? Uh, we don't play it when we drive. Okay, good, good. No, we don't. Excellent. Um, starting the car. Right. So, end of the road, turn left, please. Okay. So, just reverse it into Spring Place there, and then we'll stop and have a look at the figures. Well, it was 25.8 at the point of stopping. Okay, which is good. It was 33 maximum speed, so you're breaking the law to start with. Okay, okay, we'll keep, we'll keep that bit You did 2,794 yeah. revs, maximum yes. revs, and yeah. 3.4 miles. Okay. So we'll now come back to the beginning, and we'll zero that, and I'll go and drive now. You're going to have a go now, exactly and I'm, I'm coming, block. I'm the passenger now. You're going to be the passenger. Brilliant, fantastic. Now, one of the keys to driving economically is extra planning ahead. Now, we can see we've got a bit of traffic up here now. Yes. So we don't really want to catch it up, because if we can keep the car moving, we're going to save significant amount of fuel. Right. Now, can I get onto the dual carriageway without actually stopping? It looks doubtful at the moment. So we're definitely going to go down a gear there. There's a big gap developing, and we can just about get in that one. That was a perfect so, manoeuvre. So braking is bad? Braking will cost you fuel. Okay. So you've got to build it all up again. So that's another way of saving fuel. If we actually drive to the speed limit, yep. we'll save significant amounts of fuel. Yes. So we can see now that the road is about to go downhill. I've got enough momentum in the car to come off the accelerator completely. We're still doing 30. We're keeping up with the flow of the traffic, but it's not costing us anything. Now, here is a blind roundabout. We're going to go to the left, so I'm going to go extra slow here because we may have to change our driving plan and stop. I'm into gear, ready to go. Looks good to we're, go. We're going. We're, go we're going to make it. And we just go round. So if I had to stop and start again, it actually costs us more time and more fuel. I have a sneaking suspicion that when I do this again, it's going to be worse. <laughs> so we stop. Let's have a look so at your little computer. At the point of stopping, it was 28.7. Hang on. Let me do the maths here. You've used less petrol. Less petrol in the same distance. <sighs> but we never stopped. And yeah, see, so that's so like three, three miles. miles yeah. Wow. So that's 10%. <sighs> I want to be like you. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to be like him. John was cool. He was very calm. He told me off, though. He kept telling me off. He told me off at one point, because when I was driving, and we swapped over, so I opened the car door, got out, and went round to the passenger seat, and he went, when exiting the driver's side, we closed the driver's door. Oh, John, I'm sorry! We don't play music while we're driving. John! Did I manage to save petrol uh, the, on my second drive? Have a listen a little bit later on and we'll see how, uh, how I got on with my fuel economy. It was very tense. It was like doing another driving um, uh, test. It was very, very tense. Anyway, we'll see. Let's have a look at the front pages of the newspapers. By the way, on the back of Nick Clegg's apology, what do you want to apologise for? You can send me a text, 81333 3CR. Let's see if we can get a text before 6.30, shall we? Be good to read one out before we go to the news. So text in your apology. 81333. Start your text 3CR. You can be the first text that I read out live on the air this morning. Uh, the front pages. Um, the Monaco problem. Some get honours. Some fund political parties. Hundreds more run Brit I'm bored. That's the Times. <laughs> I got bored reading that. Just come on. What you want from a headline is you want the story. 
It wasn't giving it to me. Sorry, The Times. Bad show. Four out of ten today. The Daily Telegraph. Gangster grenades. New threat to police. This is uh, police officers' lives remain under threat from criminal gangs armed with hand grenades like those used in Manchester. Uh, And Clegg's apology. Don't forget to text your apology in. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Uh, the Guardian. This is not easy, but I am sorry. Clegg's apology for fees pledge. He's looking old, isn't he, Nick Clegg? There's a terrible, <laughs> there's a terrible picture of him on the front page of the Guardian. Oh, he looks battered and bruised. Let's have a look at um, the Independent. Uh, there's Brian May pumping his fist defiantly uh, in the air to, in his pledge to save badgers. Uh, Clegg eats humble pie over broken promises. Um, oh, and there's this story. I was listening to this on Radio 4 yesterday about this, this French satirical magazine, Charlie Hebdo, who's printed obscene pictures of the Prophet Muhammad. You kind of think, right, free speech, yeah, OK, but with free speech comes a little bit of responsibility, doesn't it? And you just think, oh, for God's sakes, why? Fact, the French have had to close loads of schools and embassies all around the world because of Charlie Hebdo. Thanks, guys. The Daily Mirror, £5 a bullet, the shocking price of a life on the streets of Britain. The Sun, why, why, why? Talking about the suspected killer of those two policewomen. Um, the Daily Express, pension plan for millions, record numbers face poverty in their retirement. And the Daily Mail, we might talk about this a little bit later on. Soldier has baby on the front line. A British soldier who did not know she was pregnant has given birth on the front line. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots to come up in the show, including your calls and more about how you could save up to £250 a year just by driving a little bit better. All of that after the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee. Thank you, Catherine. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the show this morning. It's an apology special. After Nick Clegg comes out and says sorry for um, promising not to raise tuition fees and then raising them. Uh, what do you need to apologise for, dear listener? You can text in 81333. Start your text 3CR. Uh, we'll also be uh, talking about bad drivers and should there be tougher penalties for those naughty drivers who do bad things. 08459 455 555. Uh, now, yesterday it was England uh, v Croatia. Football. Final qualifying match for the Women's Euro 2013 tournament. 3-0 to England. Uh, Aylesbury's Ellen White is an English international football forward and was part of Team GB at the Olympics. She was in uh, the studio yesterday and she's back on the line now. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Are you feeling, are you feeling happy? Definitely, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, now, I did, as I told you, I'm not a huge fan of football, but I, once I got the kids to bed last night, and it took a while, I thought, oh, I'm going to watch a bit of this. It's on BBC Two. I'm going to support this, because this is great that the, the football and women's football is getting, you know, kind of a fair crack at the whip. I turned it on. Everybody was just walking off the pitch. <laughs> so I, I had a go, though, Ellen. No, I appreciate you having a go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were there last night. What was the atmosphere like? Yeah, no, it was a brilliant atmosphere, actually. It was a really kind of family feel, and we had about 5,000 people at the, the stadium, which was great. Um, but no, the, the main thing is that we qualified automatically to the Euros now in 2013 in Sweden, so that was a great result for us, and um, yeah, it'll be good. Was there any point when... Because uh, I didn't see the game. Was there any point when you thought, oh, this might be a bit tough? Um, I think we scored after about 20 minutes to give us a 1-0 cushion, so that kind of set up, 
set us down a little bit. But they had a few chances. They had a few good players. So um, I think uh, we we were pretty much in control the whole game. But um, there was a few little scary moments, a few uh, nasty tackles going in. But overall, I think we, uh, yeah, we controlled you, the game. You'd know about them, wouldn't you, Ellen? Hey. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> ah, now, listen, ah, this is a good opportunity, Ellen. We're having an apology special this morning. Okay. Is there anything you would like to apologise for? <laughs> too much. <laughs> <laughs> the list is too long, is it? Yeah. OK, well, you, you, write, you write it in a letter. Uh, <laughs> uh, how are the team feeling? They must be really excited now. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone was really happy. Obviously, I think it was it was a little bit nerve-wracking, obviously, going into the game, knowing that we had to win. But I think everyone pretty much relaxed once we got the goal. And, yeah, everyone was really jubilant and in the happy spirits to, to know that we're going to the Euros in next summer, really. And what, hap- what happens next? Um, I think we might have a, a friendly friendlies coming up um, in the next month or two. And then it's a break over Christmas and then kind of back in kind of January time to, to get back into pre-season and, and training again. Now, Ellen, I admitted yesterday that, that I'd never been to a football match. Our reporter, <laughs> Justin Dealey, has, has kind of bullied me into going to one. I'm a little bit nervous. What advice would you give me as a kind of a new fan to the game? Um, joining in all the chants. You don't want to look like you're not doing anything or sit, sitting down. Is there, is there, so I've got, I've got a stand-up. Oh, God, already I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm losing interest. <laughs> and is it, where, where do I find, is there like a book of all these chants? Where do I find them and learn them? Because I want to learn them before I go, obviously. You can be one of those people that pretends that they know the words and only knows, like, one line. Like, uh, uh, and then they can sing a little bit of a... I don't know what... There's a book. Do, <laughs> Depends what game you go to. Do, do you know all the words to the National Anthem? I do. I'm not singing it now, <laughs> but yeah, I do. Ellen, listen, it's lovely to talk to you. Keep in touch, Thank and you. we shall be following your progress. I appreciate it. Thank Cheers. you very much. Take care. There we go. That's Ellen White, who's uh, an English, England international football forward, part of Team GB. Uh, and England's women's team is through to the, 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 hang on, what is it? The Euros, isn't it? Yes, it is. Euro 2013, they get to go to Sweden next year and, and play football. Can't argue with that, can you? That'll do. 08459 455 555. Come on the air and apologise. So, we're asking for your apologies this morning. I think it would only be fair if we um, kick this off by me making a, a sincere apology to my wife. Uh, because this morning when I came downstairs, one of my routines is I come downstairs and I have a nice cup of coffee. Got a posh Nespresso machine, so it'll be rude not to. And I was up early, I woke up at three, I got up, watched a bit of Watchdog at three in the morning, as you do. And I came down and made um, myself a coffee. Now, I like the latte, which requires quite a lot of milk. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of milk in the fridge. I used all of the milk. I used all of the milk. So my wife can't have a coffee. She can't have any cereal. More importantly... My two-and-a-half-year-old has got no milk to drink this morning when he gets up. And I know for a fact that... What what time are we now? 20 to 7. He's probably going mental right now, asking for milk. (laughs) So, I would like to sincerely apologise to my wife for any discomfort I may have caused her as this tantrum. will probably last about 45 minutes, an hour. If you'd like to be big, like me, (laughs) and apologise... But anything, you can send me a text, 81333, start your text, 3CR, or give me a call, 08459 455 555, and boy, oh boy, do I feel better for doing that. Ah, I feel much better, that's a weight off my shoulders. Not quite, not so sure that my wife feels any better, but I feel better, and that's the main thing. 08459 455 555. Now, when was the last time you saw somebody doing something they shouldn't while driving? The examples uh, are the most common are using a mobile phone, shaving. I've seen people shaving, watching telly, d- doing their makeup. 
I've even had, I believe, one of the production team here has confessed to driving naked. That happens. Well, a new report out today shows that most drivers want to see higher fines and tougher enforcement for these offences. Figures from the road safety charity Break says that some people would like fines as high as £500 for using a handheld mobile. So what's the worst driving you've seen on our roads, and do you think bad drivers get off lightly? You can call in and let us know, but Justin Dealey has been speaking to professional drivers in Hertfordshire. Now, Steve, you see people on their mobile phones every single day, but what else do you see on the motorways up and down the country? I've seen all sorts from makeup going on with young ladies, uh, gents shaving... Uh, drinking cups of tea and coffee on the way to work, eating toast, all sorts of things. So what's the answer? Because if people think they can get behind the wheel of a car and do what they want, is the answer to find them to get tough? Is that the only way? Well, you've got to have a zero, zero tolerance on it, uh, no exceptions, and just basically, obviously, fine accordingly, because people are obviously still doing it and they're not bothered by the results. Ali, you've been a professional driver for eight years you're saying that you see people on their mobile phones all the time up and down the country why do you think people are still doing it is it is it because there's not enough police out there to stop them in the first place i believe i mean it should be emphasized more information need to be tackled i mean more advertisement on the tellies and stuff like that the effects of for using the mobile phone on the road and um, not only mobile phones i mean the seatbelt it's a simple i mean it's for your own safety but um, you, you see a lot of drivers driving without wearing the seatbelt. Because according to this report out today, some people are saying that motorists should be fined up to £500 for being on their mobile phone. Do you think that's taking it a bit too far, £500? Compared to the loss of life, £500, mobile phone, I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's a big distraction when you're driving. I've seen a lot of drivers, especially when you're driving a trucks, when you're driving up higher, I've seen uh, quite a few drivers still using their handset while driving, watching the telly. Hang on a second. Watching the telly, did you say? Watching the telly, yeah. I mean, with there's um, so many applications uh, on um, on the handsets that you can be able to, to put them on and uh, watch the videos, video clips and stuff like that, YouTubes and stuff. I'm not going to mention the names, but... I mean, there's so many applications that you can be able to watch. It is amazing, the stuff you see. It is absolutely incredible, the stuff you see. Do you think there should be tougher fines for, for people who do naughty things like that? I've seen people watching telly while driving, and I've seen women doing their makeup while driving. With the little mirror pulled down, and they're doing their makeup. That's insane. 08459 555. What naughty things have you seen whilst driving along the road? It's 6.45 on the nose. It's Thursday the 20th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police have been given more time to question a suspect about the murders of two policewomen in Greater Manchester on Tuesday. Labour have accused the Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, of crying crocodile tears after he publicly apologised for breaking the Lib Dem election pledge to oppose university fee rises. In sport, the British Horse Racing Authority is today expected to make a detailed response to calls for changes to the Grand National Course at Aintree following the deaths of two horses in April's race. Your weather today for bedtime and bucks mainly dry and cloudy today with a top temperature around 16 degrees and coming up how much would you pay for a cow yeah have a think a wooden one's being sold in milton Keynes. we'll find out more before seven bbc three counties radio 
right, listen, yes, it is important that my two-and-a-half-year-old has uh, some milk in the morning, but surely it's more important that Daddy has uh, a strong coffee, a strong milky coffee, because, you know, the only people affected by my son not having milk are him, my wife, and the baby. Right, so there's three people. If I don't get my coffee, there are literally tens of people listening to this show who would be upset and affected by my bad mood. So, I, listen, I've apologised, but I, I kind of think I'm in the right... If you want to apologise on air, give us a call now, 08459 455 555. You know here at BBC Three Counties, we are the first for news. Well, we've got some breaking news here. There's a giant wooden cow for sale. Huh? Yeah. It's one of the ones in the Waterstones window in Milton Keynes Shopping Centre. You know the one I mean? This is in the window, a big wooden one. They're kicking it out. Well, if you want it, you can have it. Because it's up for sale on an online auction site. Jessica Cooper, I think, is keen to get it, and she's been to have a little look. As you walk into Waterstones, you come face-to-face with a massive cow. Let me introduce you to it. It's quite unusual. Round the side, there are shelves. It's basically a storage unit with grass in some of the compartments, but you could store quite a lot down here. The problem is, it's massive, so I'm not sure who is going to buy it, and where it's going to go, but it is for sale. It's been here for about a year, but now it needs to be bought to clear some extra space before Christmas. About that cow over there, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering whether you'd fancy buying it. I wouldn't really have anywhere to put it. I wish them luck in selling it. How do you feel about Milton Keynes' link with, with cows and the concrete cows? Is it something you're proud of? When we first moved here about 30 years ago, it was always... A uh, bit of a butt of a joke, but they always said any publicity is good publicity. I'm quite happy with them. They're, they're part of our history. So. Can't imagine what you would do with it. Well, it does have shelves in it. All right, it's a bookcase. No, it doesn't fit into my home decor. You know this cow, do you? Well, I've seen it before, yes. What do you think of it? Oh, I think it's quite sweet. <laughs> it's quite interesting. <laughs> do you think it's sweet enough to buy because it's up for sale? Oh, no, I didn't. No, no, no. don't think it's... Uh... I wouldn't buy it, no. <laughs> People would know the concrete cows, don't they? We'd just come back from holiday and say, oh, Milton Keynes, oh, it's concrete cows. I see you've got a cow mug in your hand. Are you a cow fan? Um, well, the concrete cows are Milton Keynes, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, you love cows. This cow behind you is for sale. Oh, it wouldn't fit in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> What's prompted you then to get that cow mug today? Is that, have you just lifted that off the cow? Yes. Well, this is one of my friends. He doesn't live around here, but I'm sending him back with a piece of MK. So you're, ta- you're giving him a cow to yes. take home? <laughs> yes. What a nice friend you are. <laughs> Jess, uh, Jessica Cooper there asking the questions that no other reporter would dare to ask, including, do you love cows? And then going, you love cows. <laughs> I want that clipped as a ringtone, please. I want Jess going, you love cows, as my ringtone. Who's going to buy that thing? It sounds like a massive beast. Is it something that interests you? We're going to follow this. We're going to try and find which online auction site it's uh, being sold on. And we're going to have a little looky, and we're going to follow the uh, the progress of this and trace this cow. It sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I'd be up for that. But my wife would kill me if I went home with a giant cow. Again. Oh, Glenn Campbell, Wichita Lime Man. Come on, this is a song. Oh, man, what a song. What a song! Jimmy Webb, Glenn Campbell, it doesn't get much better than that. I had the great luck of interviewing Glenn Campbell, uh, was it last year? I guess maybe it was. He's got Alzheimer's, 
and he was doing kind of a big farewell tour. And uh, the PR people said, he's got, he's got Alzheimer's, but it's very early days. He'll be absolutely fine. He's really up for doing this tour. He's really keen to do it. He, his Alzheimer's was a lot worse than we had been led to believe. And I found the interview to be absolutely heartbreaking. It reminded me of my granddad before he passed away. Because he couldn't remember simple things, like how he got the song Rhinestone Cowboy. He couldn't remember. And his wife was there, and his wife was amazing. And she kind of helped him and said, well, Glenn, if you remember, you, you got it because you met Jimmy and da And he, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he sang to me, and it was fantastic. And then the thing that broke my heart was at the end, uh, we finished the interview. We took him back to his, his kind of entourage of five people. He went round introducing himself to his entourage, and then he followed me out of the building. I said, oh, no, Glenn, you're, you're with those over there. Oh, it broke my heart. It was the saddest thing. Uh, and I saw him at the Royal Festival Hall, and I kind of think... I'm glad I did, his voice was amazing, but I kind of think maybe that last tour perhaps shouldn't have happened. But what a, what a singer. Fantastic. Love a bit of Glenn Campbell. You can't go wrong with that. I'm looking for you to call in this morning and apologise. We need your apologies after Nick Clegg has come out and said sorry for um, promising not to raise tuition fees. And then guess what? Raising tuition fees. What do you need to apologise for, dear listener? Come on the air. You've heard me apologise. 08459 455 555. We'll take your calls after seven on that. Now, the Paralympic flame should always be lit at the home of the Games in Stoke Mandeville. Well, that's what Buckinghamshire County Council is trying to make happen. At a meeting this morning, the council will put forward a motion urging the government to recognise Stoke Mandeville's link to the Games by holding a lighting ceremony for every Paralympics. Marion Clayton is the chairman of the council. She joins me on the line now. Good morning, Marion. Good morning to you. Marion, why does the council want the Paralympic flame to continue to be lit in Bucks? We on Bucks County Council, and I think Buckinghamshire as a whole, I do apologise for growling at you this morning. I've got a dreadfully sore throat. Oh, I do apologise. It's ridiculously uh, early as well, so thank it, you very it, much. It, but still, we, we are all extremely proud of the fact that, that the Paralympic Games have evolved from very simple beginnings at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. And I'm sure the vast majority of people now know the story of mm. Dr. Gutman and the work that he did with, with disabled patients um, who were being virtually left to... to well, to die, effectively, uh, and who, through the means of sport, were actually given a completely new lease of life. And just look where that took us to with the London Paralympics this year. Um, a huge success, absolutely stunning, amazing athletes who were athletes first uh, and people with disabilities second. Mm. The, 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 this year's lighting was a huge success, but uh, that was partly, I guess, because the Games were in the country. Do you think, Marion, honestly, that people would care as much when the Paralympics are held elsewhere? I don't see why not. Uh, I think Stoke Mandeville is increasingly internationally recognised now as the birthplace of the Paralympics, and I do think that's something that we should promote. We are extremely proud of that, uh, and I hope Buckinghamshire residents are extremely proud of that, as we were proud of hosting the, the uh, Olympics and Paralympics at Dorney Lake mm. this year. Uh, but I do hope this will bring more recognition for Stoke Mandeville and for the work of Dr Goodman, which has absolutely transformed lives. Everywhere is making cutbacks at the moment and trying to save money. I, mm -hmm. I'm guessing this is going to cost money. Are the resources there to be able to do this? Initially, there will be very little in the way of costs, but we would need to work through the government, we would no need to work through the IOC, and that's one of the things that, that uh, will have to be taken into account. But I, I do think for a relatively small outlay, it will attract international attention to Stoke Mandeville. I think it will be well worth doing. It, it, it 
it is only right that as, and this may sound a bit grandiose, but Athens is recognised as the birthplace of the Olympics. It is absolutely right that Stoke Mandeville should be recognised as the birthplace of the Paralympics. But I'm preempting a decision, and I shouldn't be doing that. No, naughty. The debate will happen this morning. Yep. Um, following that debate, if there is agreement to the proposition, that is the route that we will have to take, working through the government, through the IOC. Um, but let's hear the debate first of all, hear what uh, county councillors have to say, uh, and we'll see where we go from there. Do you, do you, do you get the, the impression that it would be a tough person to argue against it, wouldn't it, Marion? I will be very interested to hear what members have to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very diplomatically answered. We shall follow this closely, Marion. Thank you very Excellent. much. Excellent. Thanks for your time. That's Marion Clayton there, who is uh, um, going to... Uh, Chairman of the Council of Buckinghamshire County Council, and they're putting forward a motion today that uh, Stoke Mandeville should be recognised as the birthplace of the Paralympics, which I think we all do anyway, uh, and that every uh, four years the Paralympic flame should be lit there. Kind of makes sense. It's going to be a cold-hearted person, isn't it, that, that puts their hand up at the meeting today and says, do you know what? No. Bah, humbug. And of course there's going to be some kind of financial implication, but the symbolism, and Marion's right, surely, that the recognition that this will bring to Stoke Mandeville will, will be fantastic, won't it? If you want to apologise, you can text in 81333, start your text 3CR. As well as asking for your apologies, what bad driving have you seen? What things have you driven past you gone, I can't believe I saw that? People reading, people doing their makeup. Nudie drivers, apparently it happens. It, no, it happens. I've never seen it myself, except in a film, but I, let's not go there. What naughty things have you seen? We'll find out more after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past seven. How are you doing? You right? Now, campaigners trying to save Royston Hospital from closure are handing a petition into Downing Street today. We'll have a look at that a bit later on. A new survey shows that most drivers want to see higher fines and tougher enforcement for bad driving offences. Do you think bad drivers get off lightly? And what things have you seen whilst you've been driving around? 81333, start your text 3CR. And Nick Clegg has said sorry for his pledge not to increase university tuition fees and then going back on it. When was the last time you said sorry? And why don't you come on air this morning and apologise? I guarantee you will feel so much better. What a great way to start your Thursday by saying sorry, letting that rock off your back. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. BBC Three Counties Radio. We've uh, got a text from Nick in Hitchin um, regarding what he's seen when driving. What you see when you drive. While driving my truck down the A1, I saw a lady breastfeeding her baby. I was so shocked I nearly spilled my coffee on my laptop. Nick! Come on, Nick! Can we get Nick on the line to apologise for that? Nick, phone up. That was an awful gag, for goodness sakes. Apologies for that, please. 08459 455 555. You do see amazing things, though, when you're driving along. Just incredible things. I have seen someone reading a newspaper. Definitely seen uh, women doing their makeup. That for, the, the, uh, ti- Tiny women driving huge 4x4s doing their makeup. Is there anything more dangerous than that? Uh, we have heard stories of people driving in the nuddy. 
I, I've yet to see that, but I believe it does happen. What have you seen? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call on that. You can text as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR. We should probably have a little look at the front pages of the newspapers as they're sat here. Oh, let's have a look. As I say they're sat here. They're, they're sat miles behind me and I've had to do a little stretch. My back's still not any better, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. Right, the Independent. Uh, Clegg eats humble pie over broken promises. There is no easy way to say this. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that, I am sorry, says uh, Nick Clegg. And there's also a picture of the, um, uh, I guess it's the uh, editor of Charlie Hebdo, which is a French magazine that's posted obscene pictures of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, in France, they defend the the, the Liberté, Galité, and the other one, Fraternité, that's it, isn't it? They defend their free speech aggressively but with free speech comes responsibility surely and you know that putting these pictures in it's just going to wind people up the the French have had to close loads of embassies and schools all over uh, the the Middle East now as a result of that you kind of think just really is it worth it by the way the uh, innocence of is it called the innocence of Islam or the innocence of of the Muslims That, that, that film that's caused all of the controversy. I saw a bit of it. Oh, God. Really? <coughs> Excuse me. There we go. Doesn't happen very often. It, it's, it's shocking. It's shockingly bad. Um, the Guardian. This is not easy, but I'm sorry. Clegg's apology for fees uh, pledge uh, and clashes over badger cull put safety at risk, ministers told. I'm surprised that this badger story has, has really got that much... Uh, kind of upset people are furious about it you know listen i'm all for animal rights and stuff but seriously it's just badgers it's just badgers uh the daily telegraph gangster grenades new threat to police uh, and searching for migrants not worth the cost and then the front page of the times i don't get it the monaco problem i mean if i were to read the story i get it. it's all about tax dodging and stuff like that but it just takes way too long to get there the times poor show poor show we'll do the red tops uh, a little bit later on but they say it's the hardest word but the liberal democrat democrat leader nick clegg has finally said sorry for giving a general uh, election pledge not to increase university tuition fees a policy he then abandoned as soon as his party entered government the change of heart comes in a party political broadcast ahead of their annual conference this weekend there's no easy way to say this we made a pledge we didn't stick to it and for that i am sorry when you've made a mistake you should apologize but more importantly most important of all you've got to learn from your mistakes and that's what we will do i will never again make a pledge unless as a party we are absolutely clear Mm. about how we can keep it well as a result of the original policy thousands of students voted for the liberal democrats at the last election now many of them find their fees have risen threefold to a maximum of nine thousand pounds a year Liam Burns is the president of the National Union of Students. We were made promises by potential politicians that they would not increase tuition fees. Quite a simple promise. And they broke that promise. So for Nick Clegg now to apologise, not for breaking his promise, but for making it in the first place, is absolutely extraordinary. Mm. Well, Labour aren't that impressed either. Their deputy leader, Harriet Harman, is accusing the deputy prime minister of being weak and spineless. This was a key election promise that the Lib Dems made at the last general election, that they would not put up tuition fees. The fact that they put them up and to £9,000 
It's not good enough to just turn around and say, oh, I wish we'd have never made that promise, I'm sorry. Instead of crying crocodile tears, they should actually vote with us to bring those tuition fees down. Nick Clegg's apology comes at a time when a number of Liberal Democrats are unhappy with his leadership and there are questions over his future. But the man tipped as a possible replacement, the Business Secretary Vince Cable, accepts his share of the blame for the policy. I was sceptical about the pledge, but we agreed collectively to do it, and I take my share of responsibility for that. It was part of a genuinely felt wish to assist the student population. We weren't able to carry through with it. It was wrong, and Nick has apologised, and we collectively apologise for it. Did he say Nick has apologised? We want your apology. There are two things that come off of this this morning. First of all, Do you trust the Lib Dems? Can you ever trust the Lib Dems on the back of this? Because that was... You kind of get the impression, I heard this point put forward last night, uh, and I sort of agree with it, that the Lib Dems were putting forward policies they had no chance of seeing through because they never thought they'd get into a position of power. Then suddenly they did, being part of the coalition, and they kind of go, oops, yeah, we can't do this, this one don't work. So can you ever trust the Lib Dems again? Did you vote for the Lib Dems in the last general election uh, and now think, well, I'm not going there again? They, they've lied to us. That's what it appears like. So there's that side of it, 08459 455 555. And also, I think we can learn something from Nick Clegg. We can apologise. So if there's anything you feel the need to apologise for, then give me a call. 08459 455 555. I will listen to your apology and I will accept it on behalf of everybody. Now, James Lees is on the line. Good morning, James. Good morning. You've set up an apology website. Um, Yeah, it's more of an apology um, telephone line. Okay, go on. uh, How does it work? It's it's an anonymous um, uh, service for people to actually call and leave an apology um, on an answering machine service. Oh, that's good. uh, it's, uh, it's a way for you to get something off your chest without someone there on the other line, uh, either side judging you or um, just letting you just get it all out and a kind of cathartic release, as it were. It sounds, it, it sounds like a genius idea. How on earth did you come up with it? Are you just nosy? <laughs> I'm extremely nosy, Good yeah. you, so am I. I like that. <laughs> you, what, you just thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun to listen to people apologise for stuff? I think yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a really fascinating um, idea that people carry these uh, huge burden of guilt, um, and there's and there's very few outlets for that guilt. Um, they, a lot of people feel they can't actually apologise directly to the person or people that um, it, it's affected, and um, they just carry this guilt. And a lot of people have found. Um, it really useful to just just offload that, even if it is just to an answering machine. What kind of things are people apologising for on your answer phone? Everything, and uh, well, I, we've had a lot of um, a lot of a lot of apologies for um, cheating on their partners. Oh dear, um, that was uh, quite a common theme. Yeah, um, but everything from mainly men, I'd imagine. Is it men or women? Um, it, it, it was a mix of both, to be honest. Right. But um, yeah, we probably probably just in the about sixty percent more okay, men. Okay, okay. Um, and um, people apologising for um, stealing money to um, 
from their little brother to go and buy drugs. Um, I'm laughing. It's terribly sad. I know. It's How really, tragic. it's quite tragic. A lot of them are, are incredibly, incredibly sad, and you, you do feel a real sense of remorse in these in these people. But um, one man, one man slept with his fiance's mum. Is that true? And that is the the the, the one that's probably the most shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and he, and he kept, he's not told anyone for over thirty years. Oh my. God. Yeah. And is, do, do people, is, is there um, kind of a universal way that people apologise, or are there different techniques that you've spotted? I think there's many different techniques. Um, some people just want to get it over and done with as quickly as possible um, and move on. Some really go into detail, and it's like they're almost recreating the moment and describing it in uh, such vivid detail you can, you can picture the scene perfectly. But they really want to go through it and really exercise all the demons, as it were. And James, so, is it, what are you going to do with all these these things once you've you've, you've collated them? Well, we made uh, we made a short film, a ten minute film, uh, uh, which is you can watch on YouTube uh, amongst various other places. Um, which has gone down well, and um, we're still collecting them uh, with a view to launch an art project oh, um, where, where we can see all the anonymous apologies and people can actually come into the uh, exhibition and leave their own apologies. It's one of those things, it's such a simple idea, it's like, oh man, I wish I'd thought of that. So what do we type in on YouTube to come and see this film? Uh, if you just pop in, if you go on to um, YouTube and just put in the apology line, yep. um, it, sh- it should come out. And have you got a website or something where people can come and find out the, the phone number and just a little bit more about it? Um, it is, um, it's currently just being down um, to be redesigned at the minute, so okay. you've caught us let's out, you've caught us <laughs> at the, just as Nick Clay gives his big apology and it's all um, the hot well, topic, James, we've, I, we've got our website down, but I jump onto the um, YouTube and the numbers at the end brilliant. of the film. James, I think you should apologise to our listeners for having your website down, please. I should, I'd, I'd make a big apology for failing yeah. to have our website up at this important time. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming on, James, that sounds fantastic. That's got, I'm a curtain twitcher, that's got me excited. The apology line on YouTube, I shall certainly be watching that a little bit later. On. Thank you, James. Thank you, Sophie. It's 7.15 on Thursday, the 20th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Greater Manchester Police have been given more time to question Dale Cregan on suspicion of murdering the policewoman, uh, policewomen sorry, Fiona Bone and Nicola Hughes. The Business Secretary, Vince Cable, has said the Liberal Democrats' promise before the last election to vote against any rise in university tuition fees was an unwise commitment to have made. In sport, the Europa League group stages begin this evening. Tottenham at home to Lazio. Liverpool take on young boys in Switzerland, while Newcastle host Maritimo. Uh, there'll be a full weather bulletin shortly with Steve Weston. And coming up, campaigners are trying to save Royston Hospital from closure. We'll find out the latest stage in their battle before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Coffra, Julie Felix on the show yesterday. That name will probably mean nothing to some of you, but to some of you, you're now got going around in your head, Daddy's taking us to the zoo tomorrow. She's a legend. I came into the reception yesterday after going out on my little driving excursion, and she was sat there playing guitar, and went, oh my goodness, you're Julie Felix. My little boy loves you. I love you. You're a legend. What a charming woman she was. Uh, it's on BBC iPlayer if you want to go and have a listen uh, to that. I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, you've texted him uh, about the bad driving things you've seen. There, there are calls for tougher penalties for those naughty people who use their mobile phones or do all kinds of naughty things whilst driving. Um, uh, some of you have texted him with what you have seen. Peter Nailsbury says, Twice I have seen drivers brushing their teeth. One on the M25 and the other on the A41. Really? 
Brushing your teeth? Oh, it's maybe gone comfortable. David in Milton Keynes. I saw a man riding a motorbike while drinking a bottle of fizzy drink. <laughs> two things make me chuckle there. One, you called it fizzy drink. Well done. Uh, it's almost as good as fizzy pop. And two, driving a motorbike <laughs> while having a slurp on a can. That's incredible, isn't it? Uh, the most dangerous thing I've seen is men posing in a big black 4x4 four four who can't drive them. Yes, Julie, you're right. There are a lot of people driving these things around and they've got no idea how to drive them. We don't need 4x4s four in towns. But do, you, do you live on a farm? No, you don't need it. You don't need it. It's too big and you look ridiculous. On Tuesday, whilst doing the school run on a narrow road, I saw a large school coach and the driver was using his mobile phone. I've seen that before. As I said the other day, I've seen a bus driver rolling a drug cigarette. Yeah, he was... Yes, I believe, I believe the technical term is skinning up. I could not believe it. Uh, driving without due care and attention, yesterday... While cycling on the A5 near uh, Fenny Stratford, I was obliged to avoid a lady driver... (laughs) Really? Trying to do up her hair with her left hand, hairpins in her mouth, and entering the said A5 without even seeing me or my bike. I'd have taken her licence for three months. With things like that, there should be tougher penalties, shouldn't there? It, it would make sense to have them. What things have you seen? 81333. Start your texts. 3CR. Don't forget to keep your texts coming in with uh, ridiculous driving things that you have seen. And also, if you'd like to apologise, 81333. Start your text 3CR or give us a call 08459 455 555. Now, campaigners trying to save Royston Hospital from closure are handing a petition into Downing Street today. I think. Uh, 5,000 people have signed it. The hospital is still open, but it's only providing outpatient care whilst a replacement health service and care home is being built. We've got Chris Cowsley and Terry Hutt from the Royston Hospital Action Group uh, in the studio this morning. Good morning, chaps. Morning. Thank you very much for coming in. Now, uh, you're Chris. I am. And you're Terry. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much for coming in. This petition has been signed by over 5,000 people. Correct. Is it going to have any impact, do you think? Well, that depends on whether politicians listen to voters. What do you think? Uh, well, I know what I think. What, 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 <laughs> what do you reckon? You've seen their, how they react to things in the past. Well, there have been a few stories about David Cameron uh, showing concern for small hospitals. Mm. We've got a new Secretary of State, who I suspect is hoping for some good news. And actually, we've got quite a good good news story could come out of this. Mm. Um, closing a hospital is never good news. Keeping it open would be. Why is Royston Hospital so important to you? Well, it's very important to the people of Royston Mm. because they bought it and they paid for it and they handed it over to the National Health and they feel that uh, there's a use for it. We live on the boundary of two counties in a sort of black hole as far as the NHS is concerned and North Hearts want to centralise everything in North Hearts and we feel that that's not clever, Mm. particularly since a large number of people from the Royston area actually elect to go to Cambridge for their health care. Right. Terry, both you and your wife have been waiting for an operation for eight months. How frustrating has that been? Again, uh, for me, I'm in and out of hospital for years. I've had open-heart surgery, different things, but I'm a regular one. Right. My wife... uh, is in pain and she's really looking forward to having her operation a mm. uh, pair of us are in pain uh, we have to, have to take our turn like everybody else but uh, strange as it may seem 
my wife and I are actually going together. I'm going in on Monday to have really? my shoulder done. Yeah. And she's going in Tuesday to have her kneecap done. <laughs> and we're going into the same ward. Are you really? I, I think when I get there, I think I should be asking for a double bed. <laughs> well, I would have thought you, that some people see going to hospital as a nice little bit of quiet time away from the missus. Do you maybe want to go into a different room? Are you sure you want to be in the same ward as uh, her, Again, I think I should be in the same room to listen to her as she can listen to me. <laughs> we can well, look after nice. each other. Yeah, that would be nice, won't it, being in the, the, the same thing? Well, we've been, been married 51 years, so wow. it's got to be good, isn't it? Congratulations. How long do you think you're going to be in the hospital for? Uh, three or four days. Right. I'm hoping to go in and come out with her. Uh, we talk about carers. We yeah. need to care for each other. Yeah, of course. So I'm not leaving without her, of course. Good for you. Well done. Uh, 5,000 signatures. Uh, Chris, that's a lot. How did you go about getting them? Was it a lot of knocking on doors and uh, hassling people? No. Um, there's a lot of feeling in Royston for this, and mm. it's incredibly easy. Um, that's not to diminish the amount of work no, people of have put in um, but uh, if you see Terry's campaigning stand for instance um, the sheets are left out there for people to actually walk up and sign So Terry you've been, you've been doing a lot of campaigning yourself have you? I've been doing campaigning for years. Yeah. Uh, my policy is to put the table up I run pensioners action groups yep. and uh, sometimes they take over I'll go shopping, pick up things for everybody else and I find the sheets are filled up and turned over. Fantastic. So, really and truly, I'm involved in a way that I come from, partly from Cambridge, mm. uh, my MP is Andrew Langsley. Mm. So, I obviously lean on Andrew to get my support. And between Andrew and Oliver, because I get involved with them as well, uh, we managed to get to 10 Downing Street. Uh, they always say to me I should move in. I've been in and out of there enough times. But Have I've you been, been inside 10 Downing Street? Uh, I jumped in on the carpet one day. <laughs> I never got to move so quick. They <laughs> picked me up and they asked me what I'd done that for. I said to say I've been in. <laughs> but uh, what, is it, what does it look like in there? I've never been. I'd love to. Well, to be quite honest, that's how far I got. Right. In and out. <laughs> in and out. Security came and chucked you I out. I can say I've actually been in. At uh, end of the day, you see the door, man. Yep. Uh, I know the routine. Yeah. And uh, my view of going to 10 Downing Street is to make the awareness. A third of the population in Royston have signed this petition, mm. and it's the voice of the people. And even David Cameron, Tony Blair, all of them need to listen to us. And end of the day, you can win. I'll go to win. I don't go there playing games. And I'll go to Parliament off and on quite regularly. I know what they're all about. And really and truly, the hospital is everything to the people of Royston. And people like me from outside, I use it for therapy and different things. And I take lots of people in and out of hospitals. So it's an important place. When you go to Parliament, do they look out the window and go, oh, no, it's Terry uh, they, again, oh, no, no, for no. goodness sake. What does he want this time? Uh, they're very interested in me yeah. because I know the rules and I'm, I lobby in the ball ring, as I call it, <laughs> sit on the end of my walking stick. And they're always interested in what I'm getting up to because good. I've been around long As they time. should be, as they should be. And it's good to see people getting involved in local interests and actually bothering to take it through because it's so easy, isn't it, these days to go, oh, it's not going to change anything, let's just sit and let it happen. Chris, how many of you are going to Downing Street today? The four of us, um, 
taking the petition there yep. may be a couple of other people uh, come along too there may be a small party at the end of Downing Street <laughs> and, and maybe you might stop off and have a little beer somewhere afterwards uh, possibly but we hope to. to have a lot of coverage yes I, I, listen I wish you the very best of luck you've got all your banners and stuff there I'm sure you're going to make a lot of noise uh, and get David Cameron to invite you in for a cup of tea come on I'm sure he will especially with uh, my friend wearing his white shirt open neck (laughs) (laughs) you've got got your t-shirts on you've got your royston hospital action group t-shirts on terry you've got your hat on as well with your badges (laughs) (laughs) so you're you're dressed up ready for battle yeah Yeah. it's just a shame this is radio i know i know well listen we'll we'll get we'll get a sneaky picture taken and put up on our website (laughs) so people will see what you look like i wish you the very best of luck Uh, i'm sure we'll be we'll be following this story and be in touch and see how it goes we're there to win. Good luck, chaps. Thank you very much for coming in. There we Thank go. It's uh, Chris Cowsley and Terry Hutt from the Royston Hospital Action Group who are going to Downing Street uh, this morning to um, to see if they can make a change. Uh, and I think it's exciting that people are actually getting off their backsides and going and having a go and doing uh, doing something and trying to make a change. We're going to take a picture of those gentlemen and we'll put that on our Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. We'll have that up a little bit later on during the show. Now, don't forget you can give us a call 08459 455 555. I want to know what naughty things you've seen whilst you've been driving around. What, what, what bad habits have you spotted in other drivers? And also, do you want to come on the air and apologise live? 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC 3 Counties Radio. Coming up on the show, how to save money whilst driving. I had a little session yesterday. It taught me quite a bit. See if um, I managed to pick up any tips. And we'll be talking about odd births after this story of the soldier who gave birth in Afghanistan. Didn't know she was pregnant. How could you not know you're pregnant? How can you not know? Surely you know there's a baby inside of you. Ah, dear. I should just say, by the way, that uh, Nick Coffer... Um, between 12 and 3. Sharon Jay and Davina Robbins are going to join Nick from 12 today. They attend a lip-reading class in Borehamwood that's struggling for money. They've come up with an innovative way, you try saying that at 7.30 in the morning, to raise some cash, as well as um, travel expert Andy Jarrish uh, on at 1 o'clock. Nick Coffer between 12 and 3, always worth a listen. We've had some texts uh, um, about apologies and about what you've seen driving. When I was a lorry driver, I saw another driver drinking a bottle of beer whilst watching a film on his laptop. Oh, my God. Well, that should be instant disqualification. I'm sure it probably is. <laughs> that is instant disqualification. Of course it is. Uh, and Yaz in Watford says, The biggest thing that grinds my gears are drivers using the hard shoulder to escape traffic on motorways. It's for emergency vehicles. We don't need bad drivers blocking it. And Esther says, on the subject of uh, Nick Clegg apologising, Ian, did I hear right? An MP going back on a pledge and then saying sorry they would learn from their mistake. Ha! Call me cynical, but what a load of old beep that is. 81333, uh, start your text, 3CR, it's the uh, text number, or you can give us a call, 08459 555. Now, petrol's gone up five pence a litre. This means that filling up a typical 50-litre tank will cost you £2 more than last month. That's according to September's AA fuel price report. So what's the best way of saving petrol while we drive? Well, it's funny you ask that. If you did, because the Energy Saving Trust are giving smarter driving lessons in Bedfordshire, helping people save up to 20 pence per litre. I've been out with one of the smarter driving instructors, John Nielsen, to see how much fuel I used on a trip around Luton. 
So we're going to be changing lanes here. Now, I noticed that when you drove along this section of road, you was well over the speed limit. Well, now, hang on. We say well over the speed limit. What, 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 what exactly was? Well, you're doing 35 initially. Okay. That's enough to get you clocked on the camera that's around the bend. Okie dokie. So that's another way of saving fuel. If we actually drive to the speed limit, yep. we'll save significant amounts of fuel. Yes. I have a sneaking suspicion that when I do this again, it's going to be worse. <laughs> Didn't do very well, did I, first time around? Well, how, after my lesson, had I improved? Let's have a listen. Right. So, John, I'm back in the driver's seat. So, when you're ready, drive off. And you're going to help me this I'm time. I'm going to help you this time. So, so, as soon as you get it rolling, come off the gas pedal. So, look ahead. Try not to stop. That's it. When we're rolling. I'm going to go off the gas. Yeah. But so I need the clutch. Take second gear now. Second gear. Clutch up all the way. And cover your brake, because you may need to stop at the end. So, okay. what gear would you go out of this road with? Uh, I would say first because yeah. it's a little bit blind. So slow it down, get first before you arrive at the end and start looking across your corner so it's almost clear to the right. What's it like on your left? It's clear. Off it's the brake. clear. We didn't stop. Perfect. And straight into second gear. Right. So you're limiting your revs as well. So okay. don't come over two to two and a half thousand revs. Stay on the brake and keep off the gas. Okay. Now, is there a gap when you arrive at that white line? There could be. There could be. I'm genuinely excited by this. There could be. There is. We're going. Now, power. We did not stop. Up into third. And it was safe to do that. Keep going. Check your left side. Yep. Away we go. Thank you. We're there. We're there. Now, now we've got to try and change lanes here. So, I'm indicating. Yeah. That's lovely. Foot's off the gas. Very good. Now, just as an experiment, slide it up into fifth gear, up, across, and up. You don't need the power there, do no. you? But it's actually saving fuel That's, for you. Is it really? Okay. Come off the gas completely. Stand the gear you're in and go left. This is inc- this is completely reprogramming my way of driving. I would never have thought of coming off the gas then. Nil power. Now look at that reading already. You've already got 33 miles to the gallon out of it. Oh, this is wonderful. One little experiment you can do. When you get your car up to 30 miles an hour, start easing back on the gas pedal until you feel the car slowing down. Then you've got the maximum throttle setting. Ah, okay. And you'd be quite surprised how far you can back off the gas pedal and still maintain the speed. Because we tend to use too much fuel as we drive. I'll interrupt you there, John. There's something happening ahead. Look, there is a car turning around in the road. Just stay off the gas. Don't catch it up. What's your best acceleration gear? A third. Yeah, take it now. Okay, the traffic has moved away, so I'm just going into third gear. Perfect timing. Perfect. There's only three things you can do in defence. One is accelerate, one yep. is brake, and one is steer. Yep. There's nothing else we can do. But okay. it's always in that forward planning. You planned that quite nicely there. You spotted it, you took action early, and it all got out of the way, which is exactly what we wanted to do. Yes. I feel like we're bonding yeah. over this, John. Yeah. We're getting there. We didn't bond over that. <laughs> I thought we'd be hanging out, like, driving around together. Unfortunately, uh, John has not returned any of my phone calls. But we can get the results. Did I do better the second time around after having John teach me? We've got uh, Tim Anderson now, who's Senior Manager at the Energy Saving Trust. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Ian. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm nervous. You've, you? you've seen the computer readout. You've got the results of my driving challenge. How did I do? Well, you did well. That's the good news. Yes. You didn't. You didn't get worse as you predicted yourself. So I was terrified. I would. I was. I was so nervous with John there. No, you did very well. So the first time um, on your first lap, before we gave you any instruction, you managed twenty-five point eight mpg. Yep. Um, and then the second lap, you had some instruction with John, um, and he achieved around twenty-eight from from memory. Yeah. Um, and the good news for you is that when we went, when you went on your third lap um, after your instruction, you achieved twenty-eight. 
8.8 mpg. So that's an improvement of 3 mpg, which is just over 10%. So very well done. Hey, that's not bad going, is it? Uh, if, if, uh, if I'm correct, I believe I did slightly better than John on my uh, second trip. I think you might have just picked him to the post, <laughs> yeah. But the good news is that if you're doing an av- average mileage every year, what that's worth to you in money is, is probably just over £200 a year. That's incredible. Uh, in, in savings. So if you adopted that all the time uh, and you did an average mileage, it's about £200 um, back into your wallet. Uh, and, of course, if you do more miles, uh, that, that saving increases. So it's very good news. It is. Uh, it's incredible when you, when you put it like that because that is a significant amount of money. And the stuff that John was telling me was kind of... Some of it was common sense and some of it was just, was, was just so easy to adopt. Basically... You don't speed up too much, you don't rev too much, and you don't brake unnecessarily. You try and avoid braking where you can, or stopping. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, it is a different way of driving, and often when we see people driving on the road, uh, people have still got their foot on the gas um, and when they hit the back of a queue, for example. Mm. Um, and that's, that's just basically wasting fuel. Um, what you'll have noticed from your lesson is that actually the anticipation is the key thing here, yeah. is looking ahead and reading the road and understanding what's going on, not just with the car in front, but a few cars ahead. Um, and that helps you then just to adjust your driving style, pull off the gas and save fuel. Uh, it's also a safer way of driving, by the way. So you're much more um, safe on the road and much less likely to have an accident while saving fuel at the same time. You're right, there's, there's lots of, uh, you know, looking as far as you can around roundabouts as you're approaching them, looking at, the, you know, as, as straight ahead and, and, and taking everything in that's, that's, uh, that's happening in front of you. How much uptake have you had on this, Tim? How many kind of instructors have you got and, and how many people come and see you? Well, we've got a team of instructors all over the country and the way that the Smarter Driving lessons work is that it has to be through your employer. The reason for that is that uh, it's much easier to train lots of people uh, in the same place when when you do it in the workplace. So if anyone's interested um, uh, in in adopting these lessons, um, the best thing to do is to contact um, somebody at your workplace, Mm. perhaps who looks after sustainability or training or driver safety, and get them to either email us. You can email us at smarterdriving at est.org.uk or give us a call. The number is 084. Four five six zero five one four two five. So. Um, all the information is available on the Energy Saving Trust website. But we're going to be training about 10,000 people wow. this year. So, What's um, the most money you reckon you've saved a company with this efficient driving? Um, well, the biggest saving for an individual driver, your saving, don't forget, was just over 10%. Yeah. Um, the biggest saving for an individual driver has been up to about 30%. So that just illustrates um, the, the, the benefits that are available. Um, uh, the, the average is around 15, between 15 and 20%. 20% saving yeah. on the day. So there are big savings. And if you multiply that up across a large um, a large organisation with lots of vehicles, then the savings could be huge. Tim, lovely to talk to you and tell my best to John. We had a, a, a lot of fun yesterday. I will do. I'll tell, tell him to answer your phone calls. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. There we go. Tim Anderson, Senior Manager at the Energy Saving Trust. Smarter driving training uh, is subsidised by the Department for Transport and costs £25 per driver. Courses can be organised by uh, emailing smarterdriving at est.org.uk. So if you work in a firm that's got a big fleet of cars, or even a few cars, get in touch. Save a few quid. It's got to be worth it. And it was kind of simple. It's, it's weird. You, you do pick up bad driving habits. We've talked about driving a lot, and you do pick up bad driving habits as, as you, uh, you get older. And I learned 22 years ago. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and some of the things John was saying 
I, I really thought I would struggle with it, but actually it all makes sense. Speaking of bad driving, 08459 455 555. What have you seen? Jay is in St Albans. Good morning, Jay. Morning, how you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, Jay. What have you seen? Um, well, it's not what I see. It's, it's, just, it's just, just an everyday occurrence. I mean, obviously, you know, um, bad driving can be defined in lots of ways. But um, I was just saying to your, your, your colleague, um, every day when I drive from Luton to, to, to St Albans, um, I'm tailgated by not just van drivers, but, everyone, but the mobile phone problem. Uh, and I'm sure most people listening to this will probably still agree with me. Um, it's the most pathetically unenforced law, yeah. uh, which I blame the government for, because they, they, they must realise the reason why people still do it on a daily basis. I mean... Everyone it, does it. it. Oh, it's, it's everywhere, but there, there is no enforcement. Um, and, and I spoke to Hertfordshire Police yesterday because I had a van driver uh, cut me up at quarter past six yesterday morning. Uh, overta- overtaking me on a bend. But the police have just said, you know, they will only do what they can do. But the only other way around it is if you start shopping people, which is what I've done. Right. But but it, it, it's an. I just think personally, it's an impossible law to enforce because obviously, the police can't be everywhere. And and, and the sooner the government realise that they need to up the fine to maybe a thousand pounds. What is it? Sixty quid or something, isn't it? And three it, points. It, 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 it's, it's a sixty pound fine and three points. But it's not enough because it's quite clearly not working. No. You know, people are just not being put off. Um, but the, the government, I, I mean, personally, I think the government needs to, to make it an automatic ban, and then even, because that's the only way you're going to mm. uh, make, make people realise that it's, it, that it, it causes deaths, and it's, and, it and, it, and it's, and, and, it, and it's out of control. Jay, very quickly, I, I'm going to throw this at you, we've been asking people to phone up and apologise all day. Yes. Is there anything that you feel the need to come on air and say sorry for? Look deep uh, in your soul, Jay, look deep in your soul. <laughs> No, because I'm a good boy. Oh, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> Jay, lovely to talk to you. Jay in St Albans. You do see mobile uh, people using their mobile phones all the time. If you're in a car now, I guarantee in the next two minutes you'll see someone on their mobile phone. I guarantee it. It's incredible, isn't it? And it isn't enforced at all. Ah, dear. It's 7.45, Thursday the 20th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Greater Manchester have been given more time to question the man arrested on suspicion of murdering the policewomen, Fiona Bone and Nicola Hughes. The government is planning to reopen a public inquiry into controversial plans for a rail freight terminal near St Albans. In sport, Rory McCroy tees off with Tiger Woods at the Tour Championship, the deciding event in the season-ending playoffs later today at the East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta. Your weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, mainly dry and cloudy, with a top temperature around 16 degrees. And coming up, a Milton Keynes Paralympian may have her career cut short just over a week after the end of the Games. We'll find out more before eight. BBC Three Counties Radio. There's a a story on the front page of the Mail. It's incredible. Soldier has baby on the front line. A British soldier who did not know she was pregnant has given birth on the front line. How do you not know you're pregnant? It's in Afghanistan. She's the first soldier to ever have given birth on the front line. You're not supposed to be in the army if you're pregnant, I think. Well, Maggie Fisher is a health advisor and has a few tales of her own to tell. Good morning, Maggie. 
Good morning. Is it? Co- I sound really naive here. Is it common for people to not know they're pregnant? Um, it's not common, but it does happen. Really? Definitely. Yeah, in all my years of nursing and health visiting, I've, I've come quite... A, we call them concealed pregnancies. Um, it can sometimes happen in young girls. Um, it can sometimes happen to women who are older and at the change of life, and they think, actually, they're menopausal right. and the fact they're pregnant. Um, and, I mean, I... I but you so feel a baby. You feel a baby inside you. Well, you'd you'd think so, but actually, especially if you're rather large or overweight, right. okay. it is actually very easy not to notice it. And I, I mean, talking about you feel the baby move inside you. I mean, this happened to one of our GPs who had actually just recently joined the team. Um, she was called out to see an older woman who was complaining of severe abdominal pain, and the GP, who was lovely and extremely good, diagnosed wind. And a bit later, the woman with the wind. Had <laughs> gave birth it was was actually a baby and poor she never lived it down i mean it was you know she was but you know it can happen we've heard about this this uh, lady who uh, gave birth on the front line in Afghanistan what, yeah. what's your most unusual birth story Maggie? Um, well I've, I've got a few I've, I've actually had to deliver a baby myself I'm not a midwife but when I was staffing in a casualty department um, all the sort of emergencies would come in through the, the you know past casualty and one day the ambulance crew came rushing in saying woman's about to give birth to someone so they got me and I had to deliver this baby to the ambulance and they never made it up to maternity um, and I you know I, I know quite a few stories because where I worked before, um, women who never made it to hospital, their poor husbands have had to deliver in the oh. car or on the side of the road. I was, do you know what, Maggie? I've, I've got two boys, and I was really hoping the second one—the uh, uh, second one—I was hoping I'd have to deliver on my own. I've, I've always wanted to deliver a baby. I bet it's amazing. I bet it's amazing to do that. I think it is amazing. I have a friend whose husband had to deliver her third child because she didn't get it. And, I mean, actually, he was incredibly calm in, under the circumstances because it is a bit terrifying when it happens and it's just you. And his wife was a health visitor, so she was able to tell him what he had to do. But often, often if a baby's coming that quickly, it is a case of just catching them yeah. so that, you know, so they don't <laughs> shoot out. Well, you know, all the medical terms. <laughs> yeah, catching, yeah. Um, so, and, and then the other thing is really... What, it depends how soon help is going to come. Um, But it's the delivery of the placenta. But without the centimetrin, it would take about 45 minutes for the placenta to be delivered. So you would not have to do, you wouldn't have to worry about that. You just hope help arrives soon. And keep the mother and the baby warm. And the best way to keep the baby warm is skin-to-skin contact with mum. So wipe the baby down because it's covered in all the sort of vernix when they're born, which is sort of, you know, waxy stuff. So wipe all that off, keep the baby warm, skin skin with mum and stay calm dad you've done really well now i'm gonna i'm gonna allude to something because we have young ears listening and people are having their breakfast but they don't they don't always tell the men everything that might possibly happen during a birth and i don't want to go into detail but i do remember when my first son was born and there was he was struggling to come out and a doctor came in with a scalpel boy was i shocked maggie i didn't know that that happened i did not know that happened no, it's, it, yeah, it's called an episiotomy. I know, oh my <laughs> words! <laughs> but it does happen quite often. Yes, apparently so. To give the baby more room for the yes. head to come out. Okay, I think we've given, we've given a nice <laughs> mental image to everyone. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on. Really nice to talk to you. It's a pleasure. There we go. Maggie Fisher is a health advisor. I don't want to go into any more detail of what an episiotomy is. Oh, they don't tell you that might happen, though. No one says anything. And I was genuinely, why has the doctor brought a scalpel in? Oh my God! Ah, dear. 
sorry if you're having your breakfast. I do. can only uh, apologise for that. Now, a Milton Keynes Paralympian may have her career cut short just over a week after the end of the Games. 14-year-old Gabby Down is a wheelchair fencer who finished 8th for Paralympic GB. She was hoping to be able to compete in Hong Kong this December for the Wheelchair Fencing World Cup, but she doesn't have the £2,000 sponsorship that she needs to compete. We can talk now to Gabby and her uncle, Terry Sullivan. Good morning, Gabby. Good morning, Terry. Hello. Gabby, what was it like taking part in the Paralympic Games, particularly at 14 years old? Um, it was incredible. Um, it was by far the best thing I've ever done. Just the crowd and the noise. Um, and like right from the opening ceremony or even going into the village uh, till the Heroes Parade, everything was just so surreal and it was amazing. And you're ranked number one in the UK? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Imagine being number one at something. Congratulations on that. That's fantastic. <laughs> but so why is this you might not be able to go to the Wheelchair Fencing World Cup in Hong Kong? What's the situation? Um, well, basically, for the Hong Kong uh, World Cup, it's a self-funding trip. Um, so it's £2,000 for me to go, so I need to try and come up with £2,000. Uh, and what would this mean for your sporting career if you were able to go? How big a deal is it? Um, well, like, people f uh, people that fence for Hong Kong, they're the best in the world. Um, so it'd be such an amazing learning experience, and it would give me more practice against those, so hopefully for Rio I'll get a better look out. Terry, you've been fighting for your niece to be able to continue, uh, continue competing. I guess you'll be gutted if she can't go. Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. Are you, are you near a microphone, Terry? I am indeed, yes. Oh, there we go. There may be a slight problem there, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, you're also trying to arrange local events in order to raise money, I aren't am. you? Yes, I am. I've got, we've got one happening in November, on November 17th. What is it? In, Give us the details. It's, well, it's a race night in, in, in my village where I live in Clifton, in Bedfordshire. Right. Uh, some of my friends were organising it. Um, they heard about it and they got on board. And ironically, the tickets are going really, really well. I haven't really promoted it and I've sold half the tickets already. Oh, fantastic. And would so. you be able to make enough from that one event, or is it going to take a lot more? Um, it's going to take a little bit more, I think. Uh, I have a couple of people who already pledged money to, to Gabby, um, which I think she knows about, but we're still looking around about sort of a £1,000 more. Okay. Um, so if anybody sort of would like to sort of sponsor her, it would be a great opportunity. Is there a website or something that people can um, go to? No, but the best way of getting hold of me is either on my uh, email address or by... Um, oh, actually, no, there is a website. Gabby has her own website. Oh, it's, um, what's Gabby's website? Let's have a... www.gabbydown.co.uk And it's G-A-double-B-I, isn't it, Gabby? No, G-A-single-B-I. Oh, thank you. I'm glad we got that right. Gabby Down. Okay, right, fantastic. Gabby, if you can't get the sponsorship, which I think, you know, hopefully you're going to, what would you do? What are you going to be doing? Um, well, if I don't get the sponsorship, it's as simple as I'm not going. Yeah. Um, so I'll have to wait till the, uh, the World Cup cycle um, next year. Um, and there, there's going to be... It's not always guaranteed that I'll offend someone from Hong Kong, offend some the best in the world. Right. Um, why did you so choose fencing? Why, why, why did that sport grab you? Um, fencing, it's such a fast and combat sport, and you have to... You have to be aware all the time, and you have to always be thinking, and you can't really stop, and it's such an individual sport. Like, even when you're in the team event, when you sit in the frame to fence the other person, you're on your own, yeah. and I love that about it. Uh, I'm guessing it never stops for you. With the Paralympics finish, are you probably in training for Rio already, aren't you? 
Um, I start training for Rio on Monday. Okay, so you've had a, you've had a couple of weeks off, taking it easy, and then I do find it amazing that you can start training for something four years before it happens. <laughs> it makes me just feel so lazy because I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't be bothered, really. Uh, now, Gabby, the Olympians and Paralympians uh, are going to be honoured at the Stadium MK before the MK Dons match against Crew. Are you going to that? Um, hopefully, uh, not definite yet, but I should be able they, to. They messed up, didn't they, with with not getting the open top bus parade and all of that going. On, I think, really. <laughs> But, um, well, listen, I wish you the very best luck. What's that website again, Gabby? www.gabbydown.co.uk Okay, fantastic. Listen, we should be following this story with interest. I reckon, I reckon you'll be all right, Gabby. Don't keep your fingers crossed and, and, and keep <laughs> going, and I'm sure it'll be okay. Gabby and Terry, thank you very much there. Uh, it must be frustrating. It's two grand, isn't it? That was Gabby and her uncle Terry Sullivan. She's, she's 14. She's ranked number one in the, wo- in the UK. What was I doing at 14? I was playing games on my BBC Micro, reading fighting fantasy books, and being a bit of an idiot, really, having very little purpose or direction in my life. find that absolutely incredible. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Plenty on the go this morning, including what naughty things have you seen other drivers doing? We've had some amazing stories this morning. People drinking cups of coffee and um, watching watching the TV while you're driving. And we've had a lot of people saying they're very angry uh, at the number of uh, people they see using mobile phones. If you're in your car now, have a little look out of your window. I bet you can see someone on their mobile phone right now. It really annoys me. Especially when you see some tiny woman in a big car, big 4 by 4 turning a corner... And they're on their mobile phone. No indicator. Oh, why would they indicate to tell us where they were going to go? No, just leave it to us to guess. That'll be great. Thanks very much for that. What things have you seen drivers doing that uh, are potentially dangerous? You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. I guarantee... And the, the caller earlier mentioned tailgating. Oh, man. I get so annoyed when I'm driving and there is someone up my backside. Just back off. Just back off. It's not going to make me go any faster. If anything, it's actually going to make me slow down a little bit as some form of protest. It has no effect whatsoever. So just just back off. If I have to brake suddenly, you're going to slam right into the back of me and smash up my car. So don't do it. What bad driving habits have you seen? Or maybe, hey, listen, maybe you're brave enough to come on and confess that, yeah, you use mobile phone, don't, don't see a problem. There are far more distractions. Putting a CD in, that's a distraction. 81333. You can start your text 3CR. You can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Or you can give me a call. That's the best way. We can have a chat then, can't we? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call this morning. Another hour of the show... And plenty coming up in it, including more on Nick Clegg's apology, more about bad driving, and also the Helio Slough. We'll talk about that after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Thank you, Catherine. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday, which means tomorrow's Friday, which means it's the weekend. I'm playing, at a fr- I'm playing in a band at a friend's 40th birthday party on Saturday. I'm very excited. Very excited. It's going to be a good weekend this weekend. I can guarantee it. 
Uh, what have we got coming up on the show this, uh, this morning? The last hour of the show. Plenty. More on Nick Clegg's apology. More on bad and dangerous driving. And more on this Helioslough story. Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in in about 15 minutes or so to tell us what's happening after nine. And he'll be asking, have you given up on the Lib Dems? Nick Clegg, really, just seems to get worse and worse, doesn't it? BBC Three Counties Radio. He's in the papers again. Do you remember about two years ago, before before the election, everyone loved Nick Clegg? Everyone loved Nick Clegg. Now not even his own party, it would seem. Nick Clegg, Deputy Prime Minister, leader of the Lib Dems at the moment, is the latest politician to eat a big slice of humble pie. There's no easy way to say this. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I am sorry. When you've made a mistake, you should apologise. But more importantly, most important of all, you've got to learn from your mistakes. And that's what we will do. I will never again make a pledge unless as a party we are absolutely clear about how we can keep it. The Lib Dem leader has finally said sorry for promising not to increase university tuition fees, a policy he abandoned and uh, was overturned about 18 months ago. Well, Mark Littlewood is a former Lib Dem chief press spokesman and now director general of the Institute of Economic Affairs. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Ian. Did you watch this and what did you make of it? Yeah, I have seen it and uh, I think it's pretty ill-judged, I have to say. Um, If you are going to apologise for something in a way that that people are likely to take you seriously and assume that you're sincere, it seems strange to me to do so two years after you've made a a policy change. So I actually think that, um, trying to be objective about it, but that the the whole Lib Dem tuition fees shambles, really, over the past three or four years is a is a sanitary lesson for anybody who wants to get involved in British politics. It was a daft policy, so their policy-making process I think you need to look at. How did they end up with this policy in their manifesto if they couldn't afford it? They then decided to actually make it front and centre of their election campaign. It was, you know, one of three or four policies they particularly highlighted. They then didn't stick to it particularly hard in the negotiations with the Conservatives, and now it's taken them two years for the leader to come forward and say, I'm terribly sorry about that. So, all round, um, a bit of a shambles. Mark, you raised some interesting points there. The, the first one, there, it, it is two years later. Why is he doing it now? Well, I think that, uh, uh, I mean, one's speculating here, but I I think that it's partly that he's actually, to some degree, speaking to his own party rather than to the wider electorate. I think that Liberal Democrat Party activists and members are somewhat distraught about the party's poor poll ratings. Nick Clegg himself is not getting um, uh, very good approval ratings as as the party leader, either either amongst the public or indeed, actually, amongst Liberal Democrat activists. So I think he's trying to, to some degree, shore up his own support in the party ahead of his party conference which starts this weekend uh but the i mean the anecdotal reaction that i've seen from uh, say students who who feel understandably let down about this is i don't think they're saying oh well fair enough nick Clegg's <laughs> now apologized um, okay, i'll go then. back to voting liberal democrat uh and you, you raised the point there that it was a policy that that couldn't be you know they, they couldn't see it through because it was just too expensive why did they make that policy? The, 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 the kind of the suggestion I heard last night was that they made policies that they knew they couldn't get through but sounded good because they didn't expect to get any form of power. 
I think there is actually some truth in that. That's perhaps a little harsh on the, on the Lib Dems overall, but, um, you, you know, the Liberal Democrat Party hadn't been in power for more than 70 years, and somewhere rattling around, I think, in the subconscious minds of, of Liberal Democrat activists and those involved in making Liberal Democrat policy was the idea that, you know, our policies need to look attractive. But you would be thinking in your back of your mind that the prospect that you'd ever be called upon to implement them was perhaps a little small. Well, that, that lesson, I think, has been well and truly learned. You know, the, the Lib Dems would have got away with this if they'd stayed in opposition. But the price of actually, if you like, becoming a more serious party and being in government is that you better make sure that what you've said prior to the election is pretty much what you can stick to afterwards. So I think it's an extremely tough um, uh, situation for Nick Clegg to recover from. One can only hope for the wider good of British politics that a lessons learned for all political parties, that you've got to be very straight, very honest, and not over-promise to the electorate before polling day, because the price you will pay if you are seen to renege on those promises afterwards is high indeed. I still think the policy, the tuition fees policy the Lib Dems had was a, was a daft one, a stupid one. I mean, tuition fees are actually, um, or, or rather not having any tuition fees, is actually a big middle-class tax break in general. But uh, that's not the point. If you make a, even if you make a stupid and daft promise, understandably, the electorate will tend to think that you should stick to it if you possibly can nick clegg has been in trouble for a while now is he going to stay leader of the lib dems who knows i suppose if i if i had to bet my life on it i would say the odds are probably against him being the leader of the liberal democrat party by the time of the next general election but i think if he uh, were to go it would almost certainly be of his choosing and a time of his choosing. Um, the Liberal Democrats are finding coalition tough. It's a new experience for them for being in government that has some, that uh, imposes certain disciplines on the party that, frankly, the party isn't used to. So if I had to bet my life on it, I'd say, I'd say there'd probably be a new leader of the Liberal Democrats by the time of the next election. But I don't think, despite the kind of nervousness and worries that some Liberal Democrat activists have, I don't think that there's going to be any against Nick Clegg, certainly not any time soon. Uh, listen, Mark, thank you very much for coming on. Fascinating. Mark Littlewood, uh, former Lib Dem Chief Press Spokesman, now D- Director General of the Institute of Economic Arts. Uh, really interesting, I found. That's absolutely fascinating. 08459 455 555. Can you trust the Lib Dems again? Really? And, and Nick Clegg, he's he, he shot himself in the foot with this, hasn't he? It's, it's too little too late. I know it's a long shot, and we did ask for this earlier on in the show, but I would love it. If, you were, if you're a student that voted Lib Dem, how does this make you feel now, hearing uh, Nick Clegg's apology? Also this morning, we've been talking about dangerous driving, and should there be tougher penalties for those people who are caught breaking the law or driving uh, dangerously? David from Hemel Hempstead got in touch. Good morning, David. Morning to you. David, what have you seen? Well, I thought your topic originally was bad driving habits. You seem to have changed it into dangerous driving, so I had some bad driving habits. We can, one of which is dangerous. We can have bad driving habits as well. We can, we can mix them. Listen, it's like a conversation here. There's no set mix agenda. We can talk about what we want. Mix and match. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, I've been driving since the mid-60s. Fairly safe driver. Only accident I ever had when I was 17. The car fell on its side as a young man. <laughs> but other than that, I've been Hang a safe on. driver. How did I that happen? I drive every day as a living. How what? did your car fall on its side? Well, if you know what a 1950s Ford Popular looks like, it's very skinny and narrow, with skinny little narrow tyres. They're very easy to tip over. <laughs> Are they really? Fantastic. Especially when you're a young man. OK, go on then. <laughs> um, well, I drive for a living doing a delivery job 
in and around Hemel Hempstead. And the latest thing that I've seen as bad driving is people aren't giving away to the right on roundabouts. Oh, yes, well flying spotted. Flying across from your left. Yeah, yeah. Whether this is our new influx of European friends coming over who don't understand roundabouts, I haven't really decided, but I it seems that, to be I, the new, new I trend. I think they have roundabouts on the continent. I, th- I think it's just a generation of bad drivers. Yeah, but they come from the other side. <laughs> well, yes, possibly. That, that <laughs> they might, give way to their left. That, that might be it. Yeah, it's funny you, you said that, because, yes, I have noticed that, that no one seems to stop at roundabouts anymore. You, you have to, if you're going round, they, they don't know how it works. Perhaps they're doing your um, your fuel saving trick, where they're seeing sort of a window of opportunity coming round the roundabout, and they yeah. just gun it and go. And they're just go going for it. Uh, but I've had people who've not even looked. But the other one that really bugs me is when you come up to a junction to a main road, and the person in front's going to turn right, they don't get right into the white box that's painted on the road, so you can turn left. Yep. I, I, listen, David, I'm with you. And also, the, the, come on, guys. There's, a, there's lights on the side of your car. They're called indicators. They indicate which t- way you're going to turn. Yeah, use them. Just try them. You might like them. Bill is in Hemel Hempstead. Bill, what have you seen? Oh, hello, Ian. Uh, good morning. Morning. Um, yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, I was going to Southend with my family. Yep, lovely. And uh, it was a nice, lovely day, and uh, he, was, he was going to have a nice little bit of a break on holiday. Good for you. And uh, anyway, he was on the M25, and I couldn't believe my eyes. There was a, uh, a car in front of us uh, on, the slow, on the slow lane, yeah. uh, thank God. Um, he, had, he was driving with his knees what? on the steering wheel yeah. looking at a map. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Looking at a map to find where to get off or wherever he was trying to go. Now, and with these days of days, we've got these uh, little tiny boxes now that we can buy purchase from various the shops. satellite navigation systems, yes, that's I've heard the of these. Yes. Yes, now, I mean, God, God forbid, I hope... That there was never ever an accident with this man because oh, it, it, it makes me cringe. Bill, but the thing you, you is, mentioned uh, you mentioned the sat navs though, but I've seen people driving along and programming them in while they're driving. So they're, they're driving with one hand and then they're tapping the screen and type, trying to type an address in. So they're oh just as dangerous. God. Oh yes, I suppose they are. But I mean, we try to be safe, but you know, I mean, even these little boxes, yeah, but they could they could take you somewhere where you don't even want to go. Oh, my my one's really old, and it's so I. I I'm not paying to update the map on it, so it, it, it doesn't know any one-way streets or anything like that. It's, it takes me all over the shop. Bill, listen, thank you very much. Bill in Hemel Hempstead. A man driving down the motorway with his knees while he read a map? <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it, you have to laugh, because it's such nonsense. Incredible. Thank you, Bill. It's 8.15. It's Thursday, the 20th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police have been given more time to question a man suspected of murdering two officers in Greater Manchester on Tuesday. Hertfordshire police are appealing for information after a teenager was stabbed in a Stevenage underpass. In sport, England's women comfortably booked their place at next summer's European Championship by beating Croatia 3-0 in Walsall. We'll have weather shortly with Steve Weston. And coming up, the decision to build a huge rail freight terminal in Hertfordshire has been delayed yet again. We'll find out more before 8.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Um. <laughs> now, Jonathan Vernon-Smith came rushing down. Um, <laughs> you OK? Yeah, I'm all right. He said, oh, I've just eaten a quiche. <laughs> <laughs> How camp is that? I have, I've just, I've just eaten, eaten a quiche. I have just eaten a quiche. I've just... <laughs> Quiche for breakfast? Yeah, You're so middle class. Well, it was a homemade quiche. Oh. Delia Smith. 
Delia Smith made it for you. <laughs> no. You know Delia. Oh, you, no. you made it yourself from no, the book. No, it's books. a Delia Smith recipe. What? But what? it's so delicious. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll save a bit of that for my lunch. You know what it's like? I brought it in all wrapped up. Yeah. And it was staring at me on the desk. <sighs> and I thought, oh, well, what the hell? It's eight o'clock in the morning, but I'll have my quiche. Let's go crazy. Let's go nuts. So I've my quiche, but unfortunately, it's now left me with a bit of a mouth. Do you know what I mean? You've got, I've got, a, you've got a, a quiche mouth. I've got a quiche mouth. So, um... Is that your phone today? What do you do with a quiche mouth? Listen, Jonathan, we've been um, doing the really successful phone in this morning of getting people to apologise live on yeah. air. Yeah. So, I would like to apologise to you... Oh. For, um... For what? For suggesting the other day that it looked like you'd come in mufty. <laughs> I realised that that was perhaps a little bit harsh. The listeners didn't need to know that you dressed down. <laughs> that, that, that I could have kept the image going of you being elegant and stuff, and I didn't need to mention you look really scruffy. So, Jonathan... It's all right. I forgive you. I apologise. I look nice today, don't I? Is there anything... <laughs> is there anything that you'd like to apologise about? Not just for me, but just, oh, just anything you want to get off generally. your chest. Yes. No. You're a little bit harsh with some of your callers, I've noticed. I, really? A little bit cold. They generally deserve it. If I'm harsh with them, they deserve it. What's on your show today? On the big phone-in today, have you given up on the Lib Dems? The Liberal Democrat leader, Nick Clegg, is on the front page of many of today's papers, as you've been discussing this morning. Yes. Uh, he's saying sorry. Desperate Clegg says sorry over tuition fees. That's the front page of I. Have you seen it? Yes, I've seen it, yes. Um, it was the election pledge that failed to materialise, and it wasn't the only one. Alternative voting, reformer of, of the House of Lords, etc., etc. The list goes on. <laughs> Why are you laughing? This quiche has had a real... What was in this quiche? It's had a real effect on you. I can feel it. It has Stilton in it. Uh, an Ipsos <laughs> Mori poll... <laughs> An Ipsos Mori poll for the Evening Standard out this week has found for the first time half of Mr Clegg's own supporters think he's not doing a good enough mm -hmm. job um, to stay in as leader of the Liberal Democrats. Yep, yep. So, from nine this morning, have you given up on the Lib Dems? What's the general consensus coming through? Or have people just been talking about the apology? They've been, they've been keener to talk about the apology, and it really has been uh, really taken that by storm there. Really? Yeah. Well, coming up at nine, have you given up on the Lib Dems? If you're a Lib Dem voter, have you given up on them? Have you turned your back? Do you think, oh, this is ridiculous, and this latest apology now makes them look silly? Mm. Or do you think, no, 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 they've got a very difficult job, they're in government with the Tories, they, uh, why are you pulling you funny like, faces? You sound like my mum. No, 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 they've got a very difficult job. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got this quiche in my mouth. It's got leeks in it as well. <laughs> it's got a leek in his mouth. A lovely short crust pastry. <laughs> um, but perhaps you think they've got a very difficult job, and actually they're just trying to make the best of it. Being in government with a party that they're totally opposed to, 08459 455 555 at 9, have you given up on the Lib Dems? You know when you come in and we talk to each other, you know this goes out on the radio, people can hear this. This is happening now. Yes, this isn't a private conversation while I play a track. This oh, is actually happening. I thought we were just chatting. So, sorry, Jonathan. Oh. See you later on, have fun. Lovely Go and have a cup of tea and wash that quiche down. Jonathan Vernon-Smith uh, will be discussing Stilton later on after nine o'clock. Right, time to get the weather. Let's go to... S oh, no, it's not Red time to get the weather. weather. I'll BBC tell you what the weather is. Three I don't mind. Listen, Steve's not there. Steve's not there. That's fine. I'll tell you the weather. It's going to be, you know, there'll be a bit of sun. Might, might be a little bit of rain. And the weather will be like 16 degrees. And that's the weather today. <laughs> It'll be all right. Just have a look out the window. You know, let's give Steve a break, shall we? Right. 
what have we got coming up now? Plenty of stuff coming up. Don't forget, there's another 40 minutes of the show. So if you do want to give me a call, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can text me as well, 81333. I want to get your uh, calls and your texts about dangerous driving that you've seen. Oh, hang on a second. He's got... Steve! It's, it's Steve, it's, it's Ian. You're on the radio. Hello. What? Steve... <laughs> Steve, it's Ian, you're on the radio. Oh, I am on the radio, am no, I? No, listen, what happened was, I went to you a little bit early, you weren't there, I did the weather, I, I, I feel I've kind of, basically... You were early. Bit, bit, well, no, it was my fault, calm down, I'm, right. I'm, I apologise, but it's going to be, have I got this right? A bit sunny, a little bit of rain, 16 degrees. Yes, rain in the north, um, around Milton Keynes and Bedford, yeah, go on. <laughs> that's all I've got. If you could expand on that, then all please right, do. Expand you expand on it. on it. Go on, I apologise. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Steve. <laughs> so, um, that period there looks very, very wet indeed. Does that help you? Does that sort of expand? It was, it, it was, you went into a little bit more detail than I did. I felt like I was ah. living the week in real time there, Steve. Thank you for that. Righty-ho. Thank you very much, Steve Weston. I apologise to go to going to him too early. That's my fault. What a shambles. Well, Ian Lee was good. He lasted a whole two weeks on breakfast and we had to let him go. He just wasn't professional enough. I'll do one of this and I'll come back and it'll be all proper. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the decision to build a huge rail freight terminal in Hertfordshire has been delayed yet again. Developers Helio Slough want to put the depot on the site of the old Radlett Aerodrome. The Secretary of State was supposed to be making a decision imminently, but Eric Pickles has said a public inquiry should be reopened. Well, Mike Lovelady is Head of Legal, Democratic and Regulatory Services at St Albans District Council. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Ian. Hi. If the rail freight terminal is, is built, what does it mean for the residents of Hertfordshire? Well, if the, uh, if the development was uh, given the go-ahead by the Secretary of State, it would mean a uh, major infrastructure develop- development uh, close to Park Street, London County and County Heath, uh, involving over 300,000 square metres development, including five large warehouses, access roads, Roads, railway sidings, plus a railway connection to the Midland main, li- main line. And, and you think it'll be a positive thing for the area? Well, uh, that's not the view of the council. Um, St Albans District Council's view, uh, when it was assessed by a planning committee, was that uh, this particular development uh, would cause harm to the Greenbelt, because were the were Helio Slow opposing to build the rail freight terminal uh, is on uh, is on Greenbelt line between Radlett and St Albans. So why did the developers want to put it on the site of the old Radlett Aerodrome? Well, um, the difficulty, I think, for the developers uh, is that um, it's a, uh, rail freight terminals occupy such a large site. It's trying to find a suitable site uh, in the uh, in the area, and uh, they've decided that uh, the Greenbelt is the only location they can uh, they can find. Okay, stay on the line, Mike. We've also got Cathy uh, Bolshaw from the campaign group Strife. Stop uh, the rail freight exchange, Cathy. Why don't you want it? Yes. Good morning. Um, well, we don't want it. We've been fighting this for over five years now, and uh, we don't want it because of the harm to the Greenbelt that it would cause. It would change the whole area. Uh, the traffic congestion would be monumental, and it would just not be, we think it would be seriously detrimental to the, the whole ethos of the whole area of southwest Hertfordshire. It's being delayed again. Mm-hmm. D- how do you feel about that? <laughs> Frustrated. Yeah, I bet, I bet. <laughs> In a word. Um, but, you know, at least, at least it's, it's, still, it's still on the case. It's still on, we, we're still going to fight it. Um, we've obviously got to take legal advice this morning on this latest development, 
And, um, yeah, I mean, as long as we can raise the funds to fight it, we will keep fighting it. How, how much money do you need to keep fighting it? I'm guessing this is an expensive campaign. It's a ex- very expensive campaign, absolutely. I mean, we're looking that we will probably need, because we've got to go through yet another public inquiry, um, we're probably looking that we would need probably about £20,000. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I'm guessing this is expensive for the council as well. Uh, yes, it is, yes. I mean, this will be, uh, this will be the third inquiry uh, into the scheme. And the, uh, uh, the first inquiry in 2007 cost the council over half a million pounds. Uh, the second inquiry in 2009 uh, cost in the region of £700,000. So, uh, but that reflects the cost of uh, employing expert, uh, expert witnesses and, uh, and council to uh, present the council's case to public inquiry. That's an incredible amount of money, and well, that's coming out of council funds. So, y- yes, the, uh, the the cost of uh, of defending uh, planning uh, planning appeals has to has to be met by the council taxpayers of St Albans. Yes, I'm confused by this. Why is it being delayed again, Mike? Do you know? Well, um, I mean, the reason given by the Secretary of State is because there is a similar proposal uh, at uh, Colnbrook uh, near Slough uh, for a rail freight terminal. And in his uh, decision, which was subsequently quashed by the High Court, um, uh, but in his decision in 2010, uh, the Secretary of State uh, dismissed or refused the uh, Heliot Slough's appeal on the grounds that uh, he wasn't convinced uh, that there wasn't a uh, another site um, in the what's called the Northwest Quadrant, or basically the north of the M25, uh, which would cause less harm to the Greenbelt uh, than the proposal at um, in in St Albans. Uh, his decision was subsequently heliosided and applied to the High Court, and the High Court. Uh, judge quashed uh, Mr. Pickles' decision because um, he felt that the judge, uh, that the, the Mr. Pickles hadn't explained his reasons properly. Uh, since then, uh, we've been making uh, all the parties making written representations on the invitation of the Secretary of State uh, to assist him in making a redetermined his decision. But now he's decided or proposes uh, his proposal now is to uh, reopen the uh, inquiry, but to what's called join it uh, with the uh, proposal the inquiry which, uh, into the a similar scheme that said at, uh, at, uh, at Slough. So uh, basically it will be an inquiry which will look into uh, two schemes together and there's a link between the two schemes as to as the comparative impact of the uh, scheme at Slough and the, and the impact of the scheme at, uh, at, uh, at Park Street. And obviously we'll have to find a, a suitable venue uh, where uh, big enough to uh, hear, uh, hear the, both schemes together at uh, one inquiry. Uh, Cathy Bolshaw from Strife. Do you think your campaign is going to have any impact? Well, I hope so. I mean, we certainly have had an impact so far, um, mm. and I would like to think that we would be able to have an impact um, again. Um, so, yes, yes, as long as the public are supporting us and we're, you know, we're, 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 we will represent the public of uh, St Albans and Park Street and Radlett and London Coney, you know, in this area, yeah. OK, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Mike Lovelady is Head of Legal, Democratic and Regulatory Services at St Albans District Council, and uh, Cathy Bolshaw from the campaign group Stop the Rail Freight exchange and no doubt this is a story that we should be following um as it progresses uh this is ian lee on bbc three counties radio 08459 455 555 bob in bedford has texted in the worst thing i've seen talking about bad and dangerous driving uh, and just seen on the road is parents smoking in the front of the car whilst their children are in the back give them a chance selfish people yeah that's a little bit naughty isn't it and i once uh, saw someone driving around the magic roundabout in Hemel with a beer can in their hand. Nina. Classy. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio.
Uh, in the last half hour of the show, we'll be talking Italians, we'll be talking Harry Potter, and we'll be talking bad drivers. They're, not, they're three separate stories, just in case uh, you got confused. I should uh, point that out. Uh, also, uh, Mike Naylor is in for Ben Jones on Saturday between six and nine, and it's uh, it's celebrating the life of Jim Marshall. Marshall, of course, who makes the fantastic Marshall amps. Um, other amps are available, but Marshall, you know, good. Uh, it's Bletchley-based company marked their 50th anniversary with a star-studded concert at Wembley. Um, so that's Mike Naylor filling in for Ben Jones on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Now, when was the last time you saw somebody using a mobile phone at the wheel? I bet if you're in your car now and you have a look, you'll, you'll see someone. You'll spot, it could be you doing it, naughty. Or someone shaving at the wheel or even watching TV at the wheel. A new report out today suggests the vast majority of drivers want to see much higher fines and tougher enforcement for these offences. Figures from the road safety charity Break suggest that some people would like fines as high as £500 for using a handheld mobile. So what's the worst driving you've seen on our roads and do you think bad drivers get off lightly? Justin Dealey has been speaking to professional drivers in Hertfordshire. I've seen all sorts from makeup going on with young ladies, uh, gents shaving... Uh, drinking cups of tea and coffee on the way to work, eating toast, all sorts of things. So what's the answer? Because if people think they can get behind the wheel of a car and do what they want, is the answer to find them to get tough? Is that the only way? Well, you've got to have a zero, zero tolerance on it, uh, no exceptions, and just basically, obviously, fine accordingly, because people are obviously still doing it and they're not bothered by the results. Here's another driver. You describe motorists on their mobile phones as an absolute nightmare. Is it really that bad? Yeah, it is really bad because they don't pay attention to the road. They don't notice other drivers, especially other vehicles, and they just get in the way. Yeah, the people who actually sit with their phone between their knees, texting. And I've also seen people doing the makeup in the mirror. Clearly you're not happy about this, so I presume no. that you agree with the survey that says fines should go up to as much as £500. Do you think that might solve it? I think it's a fair, fair comment. Um, I have a hands-free set in my wagon, and if I want to talk to somebody, I use the hands-free. And I think everyone should have hands-free if they're driving at all. Get tough, simple as that. Yeah, I think so, yes. Well, let's talk now to uh, Ellen Booth from Brake. Good morning, Ellen. Morning. Uh, what kind of offences are in this report? Well, we're talking about um, those kinds of traffic offences that you can get a fixed penalty notice for. So, for example, speeding, using a mobile phone, or even the new fixed penalty that's going to come in for careless driving. Um, those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. And let's remember that all these kinds of offences are very serious because they do contribute to crashes that do kill and injure other innocent people on roads. And that's why it's so important. The mobile phone thing seems to be one of the big uh, complaints that people have called in about this mm. morning. It's not enforced. It's, it was something like £60 and a three-point um, on your licence. But it's just not enforced. I think the difficulty is that we've seen year-on-year -year cuts in traffic policing um, numbers. Um, and so what we're asking the government to do to try and rectify that is to say, well, traffic policing needs to be one of the national policing priorities so that the police, particularly in these austere times, um, aren't taking resources out of traffic police and putting them into other kinds of policing. Um, we need to protect, protect our traffic policing to make sure that um, we do have a significant um, and, and decent number of traffic police out there on the roads catching these drivers who are repeatedly um, committing these offences so we have a good deterrent in place. What sort of punishment should there be? Higher, higher fines? More points? Well we're saying that um, we'd like to see 
the fixed penalty fines for traffic offences increased to at least £500, um, and that's because um, of the seriousness of these offences, because they do lead to deaths and injuries. Therefore, you know, this is a very important matter. It's much more important than, say, littering um, or other antisocial behaviour. Um, but secondly, um, we're calling for these high fines so that um, a, there will be a decent deterrent. So there are some drivers who um, commit these offences maybe once, they'll go on a course, they'll say, actually, yes, I shouldn't be doing this, and they'll, they'll rectify um, their behaviour. They won't do it again. But there are some drivers who will repeatedly flout these laws, and that's why we do need um, high penalties in place for those drivers. Um, and we know from international evidence that higher penalties alongside um, good enforcement does reduce this kind of traffic behaviour, um, traffic offending behaviour, and that's what we're looking for, a safer driver culture, driving culture within the UK. Ellen Booth from Brake, thank you very much. Well, what do you think about that? H- higher fines? I, I, I feel, personally, that the points on the licence is a bigger threat than the money. It's right check, isn't it? Get points on your licence, that's big trouble. And that also involves writing a big check because your insurance goes up. Trust me, I've had points. I know, yes. Very interesting. Thank you, Ellen. Uh, by the way, if um, you want to go to the Facebook page, I thoroughly recommend it because bits and pieces are up there, including the audio of my apology to my wife earlier on. You've, uh, we've been asking for you to call in with your apologies. I apologised to my wife for drinking all of the milk this morning to make myself a delicious latte, meaning she had no milk for her breakfast. And more importantly, my two and a half year old son had no milk to drink. That tantrum could still be going on in our uh, dining room. Uh, if you want to hear that and also hear my interview with um, the footballer Ian Bolton yesterday and see pictures of Gabby Down and the uh, protesters who are trying to save Royston Hospital, go and have a look at the Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And also you can find out what's happening uh, on the rest of the station as well. So it's well worth having a little look. Now, the making of Harry Potter has been voted the best UK attraction. The best UK attraction. That's pretty good, isn't it? Never read a Harry Potter book, never seen a Harry Potter film. I'll tell you why. I'm in my 30s. But the uh, the attraction sounds wonderful. It's right here in Hertfordshire, in Leavesden. The behind-the-scenes studio tour beat Alton Towers and the Houses of Parliament. Well, it would do, wouldn't it? Got a choice, kids. We can go to Harry Potter or the Houses of Parliament. It's where fans can go to fully immerse themselves into the world of Harry Potter. Fans like our reporter Jenna Benson and the Mayor of London, Boris Johnson. They took a walk through it together. It's fantastic. You've got the Quidditch shop over there. You've got a shop selling loads of stuffed owls. I don't know whose that is. I think that's where Harry found Hedwig. That's Harry fa- where Harry found Hedwig. And I've just been in. You can walk into Mr Ollivander's wand shop and... Uh, you can inspect Mr. Ollivander, who's the, the, the wand seller to the, the wizards. You can, expect, you can inspect his stock. And it's incredible, incredibly authentic. People are going to have a mind-blowing experience here. This is just the start of it. I mean, there's a lot more that you've seen today. There is. And I can tell you that people are going to, as I said, they are going to have, they are going to, it's psychotropic in its, in its effects on the, on the young Harry Potter mind. And indeed, Harry Potter fans of all generations will... This will become a kind of, you know, I, I was going to use a, a, this will become a shrine. This will be a place of pilgrimage. People will come here to, uh, on, on their, on walking on their knees and, 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 and flailing themselves with copies of J.K. Rowling's masterpieces. I saw that hall where the owl goes in. And I can tell you, 
it's not special effects. What they, they, they actually built that hall. It's enormous, with huge kind of heraldic beasts uh, and, and braziers. And uh, it's a most extra- I've, I have had the privilege of sitting in Dumbledore's chair. And, you know, my cup runneth over. That's it. My life is complete. I don't know what else I can, I, I can achieve in my life. I, I've sat in Dumbledore's chair. Yeah, that man could be Prime Minister one day. You can walk around Professor Dumbledore's office, Hogwarts Great Hall, and Number 4 Privet Drive. The President and Managing Director of Warner Brothers UK, Josh Berger, told BBC Three Counties Radio that secrets will be revealed. They'll be able to see everything that they have come to see and love in all of the films. I mean, it is all here, everything of note. The Great Hall, Gryffindor, the Common Room, the Bedrooms, uh, Dumbledore's Office. Uh, it's, it's all here. And also many of the effects and the animatronics and the animals and, and how they all get, got made uh, is also here. And the car and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Again, they will, it will be a complete experience. Star of Thunderpants and Harry Potter, Rupert Grint, who was Ron Weasley, of course, was there for the grand opening. Twelve years ago, I never would have thought that we would be here talking about uh, a Harry Potter tourist attraction. It's, it's just, it's kind of unbelievable. And what do visitors to the tour think? Um, it's very realistic and it looks like they're exactly the same in Harry Potter. I like the Ollivander shot because... He's actually inside, and you can see all the the ones and the different sizes. I think it's really realistic, and it's uh, it's been painted really well, and I think they've captured it really, really well. It's like exactly the same. You would really believe it. They filmed it here, and we've even got the cobbled streets that we're standing on. Yeah. Well, there you go. Fantastic. It's been uh, voted the best UK attraction. Well done uh, to everyone involved with the Harry Potter tour. It does sound fantastic. Although, of course, I'm saying these words, I don't know what any of them mean. I have never seen a Harry Potter film. I have never read a Harry Potter book. The reason for that is I am a grown man and they are for children. They are children's books and films, and it's great that we had some kids at the end there talking about it, because that is what they are aimed at. It does annoy me when you're on the tube or on a bus, and you see an adult reading Harry Potter, and you want to shake them and say, No! Go and read some great literature! Go and read an adult book! Don't read Harry Potter! It's for nine-year-olds! So there we go. Mark's in Bletchley. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Ian. Mark, what have you seen on the roads? Well, <laughs> a few years ago, I was waiting for my motorcycle to be serviced in Wolverton. You oh. know when you're, you're hanging around Wolverton, I've walked down the canal and everything, so yeah. I, thought, I went and sat up by the main road um, on Stratford Road, Wolverton, and I thought, well, I'll sit here and just have a sandwich and watch the cars go past. Nice, nice way to spend a couple of hours. Yeah, I thought, you know, while you're there, it's, 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 it's not very good, you know, you're bored uh, out of your brain sort of thing, and I thought... I'll count the cows going past. So I got a, I got a pad and I was going to do some notes and some bits and pieces. And uh, I thought I'll count the mobile people using mobile phones. Yep. And I counted over 200 in two, three hours type uh, duration. And I thought, surely, you, you, if you put a police officer in this in, on this section of road, you, you could just count them. I couldn't believe... You'd be quitting. 
Yeah, they would do. They, they'd catch them all. Two know? things. Two things amaze me from this story, Mark. The first one is the number of people you saw on mobile phones. That's incredible. The second thing that amazes me is that you actually bothered to do that. Well done, you. Well, I thought I'd do it. You know, I just, I just, you know, I just, I thought I was so bored. Yeah. You know, and I went and picked my vehicle up, and I thought, what have you done today? Well, I counted all the mobile phones. <laughs> 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 oh, but well, listen, no, you, uh, well done for doing that. It's, it's an, it is amazing, and I will drive home and on the motorway I will see countless people using their phones and Mark it, it really is you know it's very dangerous very very naughty Mark in Bletchley thank you very much saw 200 people on their phone in three hours driving along it's 8.45 it's Thursday the 20th of September these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio Police have been given more time to question a man suspected of murdering two officers in Greater Manchester on Tuesday. Hertfordshire police are appealing for information after a teenager was stabbed in a Stevenage underpass on Friday. In sport, England's women will make their fifth consecutive appearance at a major tournament after beating Croatia 3-0 in Walsall to qualify for next summer's European Championship. Your weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, mainly dry, dry and cloudy with a top temperature around 16 degrees and Coming up, more on Clegg saying sorry. And the Italians, they're not very happy. BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, of course, if you just tuned in and you missed the show, it's, it's been a corker this morning, you can always go to the BBC iPlayer and have a sneaky little listen to that. You can find all the shows from BBC Three Counties on there. Uh, well worth listening to. It's, it's, uh, it's the new way to listen to the radio, kids. We've got some texts on dangerous driving. Um, Ian, I see dangerous driving every day due to the increased use of mobile phones. Um, I'm not surprised because our chief constable will only allow his officers to issue warnings as stated on a previous Jonathan Vernon Smith show. I put in a complaint several weeks ago but heard nothing. That's from Pat. On two occasions I've seen someone driving with one hand holding, cuddling a dog on their lap with the the other. This is madness. Why would you cuddle a dog while you're driving? And Alan's biggest bugbear is people who insist on driving by sat-nav with the sat-nav located in the centre of their windscreen. Uh, Mobile phones seem to be the big thing. Now, earlier this month, you may have seen over 1,000 Italians marching through Bedford. They were protesting against the loss of the local consular service. The town has the largest Italian population in England outside of London. It's even had its own Italian consulate to deal with things like passports and visas. But from the end of September, that service is going for good. Today, campaigners will travel to London for a meeting at the Italian Embassy. Justin Dealey met campaigners at Bedford Borough Hall before they set off for London. I'm just outside Bedford Borough Hall at the moment. Dr Susanna Shereko, you're off to the Italian Embassy very, very soon. Just describe the passion in Bedford, because some people may say, well, it's a short journey to London, why do you really need it here in Bedford? What would you say to those people? Well, what I'd say to those people is that um, it's a bureaucratic nightmare trying to deal with the Italian authorities anyway. So um, having the office away from Bedford will mean quite a lot of hardship for people who are elderly, who are disabled, younger people having to go to London um, on a daily basis to see uh, the officers at the consulate. Um, It's not like... I mean, you can't do this by post, you can't do this by email. You've got to be there present at the office. And this is a bureaucratic system that still uses postal orders to pay for their services. They haven't even, you know, advanced to checks or credit cards yet. Mm. So we're talking about something that, if it's not here in Bedford, it's going to cause a nightmare for Italians going up there. And we're talking about 16,000 passport Mm. holders in this area, the whole of East Anglia. Is it too little, too late, though? Because the local service 
this is due to come to an end at the end of this month. So is it too little, too late for you? Absolutely not. It's not. I mean, if it was, we wouldn't be going up there today. Uh, it's not too late. The office did close to the public on Friday. The three people who worked there are still there till the 1st of October. And the Consul General who was seen today, as well as the, the number two at the, am, at the am, and embassy, does have the authority to uh, postpone this closure. They have uh, legislation they can use and they have the force of the thousand people that turned up to the protest march as evidence that this has got to be turned round. Italy has a huge public sector debt. Some people may say, well, they're doing this to save money, but you're saying in actual fact this makes money, doesn't it? Uh, the office in Bedford makes three times more than it actually uses to keep it running. The sheer numbers that here who are renewing their passports um, often. I mean, if you think about 16,000 people renewing their passport once in 10 years, we're talking about over a million pounds that they would go to the Italian coffers. And all they're paying is the rent of the place. Remember, the three people who work here, they are going to be moved to, to London. Their salaries are not being um, saved. Well, I'm just going to bring Sue into the conversation as well. Sue Oliver. Sue, you're the Labour leader at Bedford Borough Council. Just um, in a nutshell, how, how easy was it to set this meeting up today at the Italian Embassy? Well, when the Italian community asked for my group's support, um, we promised to help them in any way we could. So we wrote to the Consul General and, to our surprise, uh, he agreed straight away to meet today. Never too late, of course, to make a difference. At the end of today, do you think a decision will be made? Will people power win here in Bedford? Well, I'm hoping the fact that they've agreed to meet with us um, is, is a good indicator. The reason I'm going is to try to, to help my colleagues negotiate a, a solution that will let everyone get out of this and, and preserve their dignity. So, yes, I hope so. Well, thank you very much there, Justin. Now, it's the hardest word to say, especially for politicians, but yesterday, Lib Dem leader Nick Clegg finally said sorry. The Deputy Prime Minister apologised to the public for promising to not to increase university tuition fees and then increasing them. Well, we're not ones to judge, and so our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been out and about finding out what people in Bedford have had to say sorry for. Oh, no, they haven't. We've, we've missed that. We'll try and get that in a second. We'll, instead, we'll go to our guest who's joining me in the studio now. It's Will Lacey. Good morning, Will. You are a... Do you have a sip of water? Don't you worry. I'll give you a moment's <laughs> breathing time. Thanks. You're a politics student who graduated from uh, the University in East Anglia this year. Did you... You can put the water down now. You've had, you've had it. That's your <laughs> breathing it. space. Did you vote Lib Dem? I did. How did you feel... How do you feel it's going for the Lib Dems? Has your opinion changed over the, the, the couple of years they've been in coalition? Uh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I mean, they were the party. There was sort of like the Hope Party. Everyone got very excited about them. They had a real boost in the election. Mm. People thought they might even win. Because they seem to be riding on the sort of a crest of hope, which you don't really often see in British politics. They really seem like a new thing. Were you disappointed when the, they were part of the, the coalition that raised tuition fees? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they might see it in a different way. They might see that they've made a pledge which they weren't able to do because of a coalition or whatever. Mm. But the perception of the public and what was really driving a lot of that hope was the point that he had actually made a promise, which mm. is something so rare in politicians. They say, oh, we're going to try and do this. We're going to hopefully do that. But he actually went ahead and made this really exciting promise in front of this crowd. And, yeah, he created this, this sort of wave which took him into government and he's disappeared. Well, he, he's done himself no favours because now he said, well, actually, do you know what? We probably we could never have kept that promise anyway, so I'm sorry for that. What did you make of his apology? Um, I think it was a pretty typical apology of a politician, really. They apologised for something slightly less worse than what many people think they actually did. Mm. But in that way, it sort of forms an apology. Yeah. But as you say, the fact that he's admitted that he did something 
silly as well as just dishonest well um, i know he just it does a different kind of damage not only is he now a liar he's also may well be have very poor political judgment okay well listen we're going to go back to the report from justin these are some of uh, your apologies out on the street this morning well, here's James, who's up bright and early in Bedford this morning. James, I've just played you the clip from last night, Nick Clegg apologising. Do you believe it? That's the big question. No, I think it's a load of rubbish. You can't, you can't trust most politicians. Mm. So it's not just him, it's everyone? Yeah, nearly everyone. You can't, you can't trust them. They, they, they let you down. They make false promises. Now, Mark, you would like to say sorry to your wife for what happened last night. Tell us what happened last night. Oh, well, I woke up in the middle of the night in some considerable pain, and in my moaning and groaning, I woke her up and disturbed her sleep. So, darling, I'm very sorry. <laughs> and you've got no problem apologising at all? Um, I try to apologise as often as possible, and unfortunately, given the kind of person I am, that's, that's quite often. Now, here's Ollie. Ollie, you're telling me that you would never say sorry. Tell me why. Because I don't do nothing wrong, so I have to say sorry for nothing to do, do I? But you must do things wrong I'm at some right. point. I'm always right. Always? Always. But even if you were wrong, and in your mind you knew you were wrong, would you still apologise? No, not at all. I don't feel sorry for anything I do, really. It's just the type of bloke I am. <laughs> Fair enough. If you do something wrong, you just try and get away with it, don't you? Like the rest of us, so that's what I do. And you've got nothing to say sorry for this morning? You don't want to say sorry to anybody on the radio? No, not really. Just myself for waking up early this morning, really, and that's it, mate. And a final word from Harriet. Harriet, you'd like to say sorry to your boyfriend, Liam. Why are you so sorry? I'm sorry because I've been such a moody cow lately, just because he's there and I just shout at him for everything. You seem so nice. <laughs> where, where does this monster come from? Um, I don't really know. It's just kind of appears when he annoys me. I just start shouting at him, so... Bless him. So, Liam, you're very sorry? <laughs> yes, Liam, I'm very sorry. Now, uh, I'm joined by Will Lacey, who's a politics uh, student who, who graduated. Well, you're not a politics student, then, are you, if you've graduated? You're a politics. I'm a politics graduate. You're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're a guy. Now. <laughs> well, I'm an employed guy, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what, what, what do you want to do when you grow up, Will? What do I want to do when I grow up? Uh, I've, I've looked at all kinds of different uh, career paths. The standard career path for a graduate seems to be sort of corporate services, so right. it's all marketing and research and analysis. And then there's a, there's a whole different uh, sort of environment which is sort of government services so a lot of them go into work for civil service or maybe there's to be law enforcement which is one thing that i specifically investigated and then there's um there's media as well because nowadays politics and media are quite close and by studying politics i've actually ended up learning a heck of a lot about media well you, you, we've learned a lot about media watching nick clegg with this apology last night which many people are saying did sound a little bit insincere we we kind of expect lies from politicians though don't we um, oh, oh, we're not so naive that we believe everything they say. No, no, we're not. Um, I mean, there's, you know, he, he stated uh, what we thought was a fact, was that he was going to do a certain thing. Mm. But I think a lot of the emotion behind this isn't necessarily that he made a factually incorrect comment. It was that with that comment, mm. he, he created a... a, a he had an impact on a lot of people emotionally mm. created a lot of hope a lot of excitement especially among students students that were a lot of them were very bored of politics as it had been thought oh this is a new, new, new kind of you politics kind of made it a little bit sexy again I remember those debates those, the, on the BBC and on Sky and ITV uh, where for a couple of them he rang rings around um, Gordon Brown and David Cameron and you're right there was a moment where it looked like well hang on these people might actually win obviously they, they didn't yeah. even come close to winning uh, but have you've been with students have students lost faith in the lib dems do you think a lot of them 
Yeah, yeah, quite quite a few of them have. Mm. I think some of them that consider themselves sort of political realists maybe st- might, might stick with them. Yeah, simply because they don't want to make a choice between being kind of you know right wing or left wing, as it's called. Um, and some of them have gone the, the whole hog and actually actively hate them. I right. think that they they'll never vote for them again, and that and sort of predict that they'll be dead by the next election and they'll just completely disappear. Final question, Will, and uh, answer it if you can. Are you ever going to vote Lib Dem again? Or are you going to vote for them in the next general election? No, I will not be voting for them in the next election. Which way do you think you're going to go? Um, well... I'm not looking, <laughs> yeah, you give oh grief. No, um, no, <laughs> probably, probably Labour, probably Labour, right. um, because I, you know, being young and naive and all the rest of it, believe in social justice. Mm. I suppose because I, I don't pay a lot of tax. I suppose that's, yeah, get that's to my age, to have well. a mortgage, and then you'll be you'll Indeed. be against all that nonsense. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've seen that happen. Yeah. I expect that may well happen, but at the moment, I think I'll uh, I'll probably vote okay. vote for Labour. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming in. Best of luck with whatever you choose to do. No doubt we'll speak to you again at some point. Thank you very much. That's Will Lacey, who is a politics graduate. Don't you forget it. Well, that's it. It's Friday tomorrow. Fantastic. Back tomorrow at six o'clock. Do stick around, though, because coming up after the break, with his music bed accompanying him all the way, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be asking, have you given up on the Lib Dems? Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.